Hello and welcome to Blowing Cartridges, the gaming podcast where we dive into the issues surrounding gaming culture and the games themselves. I'm Brendan Tam, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Zach Clark. So Zach, we're, um, we're heading into the last month, the final stretch of 2022. How's everything going? Yeah, good, good. Um, except, you know, my eyes are extremely red and tired because I've uh, been straining them a lot playing uh, games on my Nintendo 3DS family of systems. And uh, it's just, you know, it's a real bother. <laughs> oh, the family of systems. That sounds very um, corporate babble from you, but uh, that, that's what I expect from you, Zach. So good to hear. <laughs> and uh, I, I know there's a few enthusiasts of the quote-unquote Nintendo 3DS family of systems. So today we have a good friend of the show, Luke, with us to talk about to talk about a particular system that's close to our hearts, the, the Nintendo 3DS, which celebrated its 11th anniversary this year. It did celebrate its 10th anniversary last year, so some might argue that we should have talked about it then, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, as listeners of Blowing Cartridges know, we are sometimes behind the eight ball. So uh, thanks for joining us, Luke, and... Uh, have you been straining your eyes recently on the Nintendo 3DS? Uh, yeah, hey, it's uh, great to be back for a third time now, I think. But um, I haven't actually used my 3DS a whole lot recently. I've been too busy with other games. Plus, there's nothing really coming up for it anymore. So, yeah, I really do love the 3DS. Yeah, I think that's one thing that's going to bind us all together because we're all, um, I guess we're all a similar age and we were all in a similar place in our lives when the 3DS came out. And I know for me personally, it was a, it was one of the first, well, not really the first console I uh, bought myself, but it was one of those first consoles that I really got involved about the launch and I had a pre-order and was very uh, keen to get into it. And Yeah, it'd be the first system, at least for me, and maybe you just miss out on it, Brendan. Um, and I don't know if it's true for Luke because you're a little bit older, but it was my, my first system... That came out as I was a legal adult, I think, um, if that makes sense. So I think I was in first year uni when it came out. So it was, uh, yeah, that, and I think, Brendan, you might have been in the last year of high school or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. I would have been second, I would have been second last year of high school. We, Wii U was sort of that console for me in that I think I was 18 and finishing high school when the Wii U came out. Okay, because I was, what, 21 when the 3DS launched, so it was the first system I bought for myself at launch. Yes, and I guess for the listeners who uh, might not be aware, the launch of the 3DS was uh, 31st of March 2011 in Australia. It was a bit earlier in Japan and America, but it was at the start of 2011, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but, well, the Wii was similar, but it was one of those consoles that it felt like the launch was very close to everywhere in the world because I know before the 3DS, before the Wii, it always felt like Australia got things at least a month or two later than everyone else. Yeah, I mean, this would be one of the last systems from a major console manufacturer. So not counting, you know, your Playdates or anything like that or your Steam decks. Uh, But it would be one of the last, probably alongside the Vita, I think, that had a you know, a staggered launch between Japan uh, and the West, uh, albeit, again, it was smaller than, say, the GameCube or anything like that. Uh, and I'm sure there's probably one other that was, like, staggered by a few weeks, like the PlayStation 4 or something was probably three or four weeks later in Europe or whatever. Yeah. But uh, it sort of, you know, is towards the end of that trend of 
you know, having potentially up to a month, if not two months, between the release of a system uh, in one country versus other countries. And I think that was why, you know, it made for such a fascinating launch in, you know, in hindsight, uh, seeing all those, you know, various YouTubers, uh, reporters uh, like IGN, etc. Aussie Nintendo obviously was big for the three of us, uh, either going to Japan and picking up systems from, you know, the various retails there and covering it day one uh, at its launch there. Uh, but you can, you know, a month or a month and a half before we would actually get our hands on it. Uh, well, I don't know if you want to get into it yet, but some of like the later models of 3DS we actually got first in the world. Yeah, that is true. So we'll get into that, I think, later in the episode. But I think that's an interesting dynamic as well. That We were on the forefront in some regards. So it was really a, a change in landscape, which I think really encapsulates what the 3DS is about and where it sits in the, I guess, Nintendo ecosystem. Because in many ways, it was offering a lot of new things. But in many other ways, it was, I guess, you could argue there's some iterative things about the 3DS as a console itself, which I'm sure we're going to be getting right into. Yeah, I mean, I think the 3DS and why, you know, in its name, it's inherently a iteration of the Nintendo DS, right? Uh, and so some people might be like, well, why are you covering the 3DS and not the DS? Uh, and I think what makes the 3DS so fascinating in, in many ways is it's it's definitely an end of a lot of years for gaming and for Nintendo in that it's it's... Mm. As far as I can tell, I mean, so at this date, it is the last dedicated handheld uh, that Nintendo has released and potentially will ever release if the Switch and Switch um, style of, of hybrid console continues to be the the way of the future. You know, there's no certainty in that, but it's hard to, at this point, picture going back to a specific handheld, specific um, home console. Again, I'm not counting variants of the switch like the switch Lite, which can only run in handheld and more just as a general theme of a system it's it's portable only and that's the point of it so it, it makes it a real fascinating one and for, for me and i think probably many others and i think in history when we you know look through over the various systems uh through the life cycle of uh you know video games but again probably more specifically nintendo it's, it's always going to be a a fascinating juncture for for the company and for for games to start with the story, I know there was announcements. I think there was an announcement of the system or a tease before it, but I was looking at having a quick look yesterday, and I think the full, the first full announcement of the 3DS was at E3 2010, and uh, I don't know if either of you have watched that recently, but it's a very weird press conference, and it's I guess it really shows that even though it's 11 years ago that both the video game landscape and Nintendo were very different 11 years ago. And I, I didn't quite, I didn't realise how different they were until watching that. But you, in many ways, I'd say it was a lot more corporate of a of a conference. And it yes, it did drop like the games and it, it had some of that classic, I guess, Awata and uh, Reggie gags and laughs. But it was, it, it still felt like some of those corporate conferences of the, mid to late 2000s which i i thought it was interesting like not as bad as having the chart the sale charts up which i think was an infamous example but i i found it interesting in that regard yeah uh e3 changed a lot over the years in all the presentation styles but back 
last year for the 10th anniversary, I put a lot of effort into making a 10th anniversary video special. And so I went through like all the E3 stuff and all the announcement videos and like made this 10th anniversary video that I think if you're listening to this, you should definitely go and watch. And so that has like all the segments of like the 3DS specific stuff cut into relevant bits to do with like the E3 2010 and all the marketing stuff. So I thought it was really interesting to go back and see it. Um, and I rewatched that just before we're recording here. What I found interesting about the announcement conference at E3 2010 was that really they showed one game for the console. They showed Kid Icarus Uprising, which wasn't even a launch game. It It's interesting to contrast that to modern day announcements. And I think the last one that did that, didn't really show gameplay, was the infamous um, Xbox One X-Bone announcement where they showed the, um, the renders of the Call of Duty dog and a few other things. but. They were focusing on TV, TV, TV instead of the game. Well, I was reminded of that because in that conference towards the end of it, they start talking about, oh, the 3D video playback capacity of the 3DS, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that actually never went really anywhere and no one ever really, I don't know anyone that watched a 3D movie on their 3DS, even if, even if you could, but they were really spruiking that and they were saying, oh, yes, on the show floor this week, you can go watch How to Train a Dragon on, on a 3DS in 3D. And, uh, well, it, it's very much they're focusing on the tech side of things and not really the gameplay or yeah. the, the games that are going to be on offer. I don't think they ever released any full movies on the 3DS, but I know there was like that Nintendo video app where they released a bunch of stuff. And then there was also a few Shaun the Sheep episodes that were released on it in 3D. Oh, yes. And um, there was also those Pikmin 3D shorts as well. Yes, they use it to a degree, but but they were very much focusing that as like the key, one of the key things that was going to be a system seller. And in that conference, they don't even really mention Street Pass, which I'd argue was probably, even like in hindsight, was an aspect of the console that was much more utilised than the 3D video uh, capabilities of the console. I think there was a brief reference to how the 3DS was going to be able to connect to like Wi-Fi networks and other 3DSs, but it didn't really go into what that was going to do or how that was going to take place aside from, I think there was a vague mention of, oh, you can, without Wi-Fi, you don't have to connect to Wi-Fi and if you're around and about, you might start downloading like extra things for your games and, and things like that, which which did happen and I can't remember what that what that was called in the 3ds but i know that was a capability yeah i mean that entire e3 was a real weird one because <laughs> not only the conference the way it, they unveiled information so i mean as you alluded to brendan if i recall correctly i think it was in april um before e3 we knew of a 3ds being a thing because so i think it came out in their financials or something that it would be a thing um, so we knew it was going to happen at that E3, but, and then obviously they did the whole pull it out of the pocket thing in the in the conference, and then as you said, show off Kid Icarus. Uh, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, they showed or announced Mega Man Legends three in that one, or is no. it so the later one? I think there was a later one later in that year. I want to say it was New York or something where they actually went into a bit more about the games, and you saw Mega Man, you saw um, Chocobo Racing, which also never happened, and things like that, but. Okay, well, 
despite that though, what did happen, if, and I'm pretty confident in this, is a lot of games were basically shown and announced on the show floor. Like, it sort of stuck. Yeah. I don't think we were using Twitter at the time, or if maybe we were in its like you know earlier days. I, I can't remember how I was seeing it. But you were seeing like um you know various Nintendo fan sites being like, hey, like people, you know, I think if I recall, the 3DSs were strapped to um people while wandering around the show floor. Yes. Uh, and then you know there were reports coming like, oh, hey, this 3DS happens to have like a 3D version of Ocarina of Time, and this one has like a demo, like a, a video of a Paper Mario, <laughs> and like this one has Nintendogs and cats on it. Uh, and so, and like Metal Gear Solid, I remember seeing a leaked video of the Metal Gear Solid video because, like, they didn't want you recording the screen. Yeah, exactly. It's such a, a weird way. It was like a viral way of like announcing games through people just discovering them on the show floor. And then, if I again, my memory uh, will be a little foggy, but I, I think they eventually added those games and screenshots that were there onto the um like Nintendo's E3 like hub website that they they typically used to run every year. I don't know if they'll still do it going forward, but uh, that's beside the point. So it was it was a really like you know particularly as a as a uni student with more time uh, on his hands than he does today, just to sort of follow the blogs and just hear people like feeding out these like dribs and drabs of information and like. I remember Steel Diver being a big thing because it's like, oh, this is like that DS demo they did back before I think even the DS launched, and like it's, it's back again and it's in 3D. Uh, it, it was just a a really wild way of announcing quite a few games, many of which would be launch titles, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into in a second, uh, or if not launch titles in those early few months of the 3DS. Uh, but yeah, not not in a montage in a press conference that everyone around the world was was potentially watching that was interested. But just you know, virally through demo units wandering around the the show. At the end of that um, E3 2010, there was like a whole heap of models came out with 3DSs tethered to them, so people could play it right while they were still um, in the like conference area. It was pretty funny. In the Nokia feature, uh, it was quite funny watching Reggie sort of announce it, like, "Yeah, you you don't have to go anywhere." and like at the very at the very end of the video, he's explaining, "Yeah, just stay where you are, and they'll come to you." And like, it, it's just a horde. It's a horde of uh, middle aged uh, blonde women. Like every nearly every single one. It's quite a. I, I don't think they'd quite do it the same way if they were doing it in twenty twenty two. Is what I'd say. No, it's a bit cringe, honestly, watching it now. And I guess uh, there's probably a few things we can unpack about the announcement and some of the aspects of the console they were. Um, focusing on and they thought were the selling point but it probably is good to i guess we'll we'll move up to the launch and then we can talk about some of those other themes and aspects and so the launch was as we said in um or end of march uh, 2011 i pre-ordered it through dick smith because rest their soul dick smith still existed in uh 2011 mm-hmm. and uh they had a really good deal for um for pre-ordering the 3ds and i know I found out about it on Aussie Nintendo because I think that that was around the time I started getting onto Aussie Nintendo, and I think it was actually I got onto Aussie Nintendo after the 2010 um and um E3 because I wanted to discuss Skyward Sword, which was also announced at E3 2010 alongside alongside the 3DS because that was that was arguably the last main E3 that had really big Wii game announcements. You had 
like Skyward Sword, you had Donkey Kong Country Returns and Kirby's Epic Yarn and sort of yep. the last gasp of Wii content before there was a bit of a um, just a desert of an ecosystem in terms of game releases. But anyway, the 3DS, there was a great pre-order offer. It was a bit bit cheaper, came with a game. I got Ghost Recon Shadow Wars with mine. So I remember eagerly waiting for it to arrive via mail and uh, really get into it. So I think you mentioned it earlier that both of you got it at launch. Did you have a similar experience? What games did you get at launch? So I pre-ordered mine at EB and I got the Lego Star Wars 3, I think it was, and Street Fighter 4. Because at the time, back then I used to go to LAN parties and I kind of liked Street Fighter um, like, or I was trying to get into it, and I thought it'd be fun on the 3DS, but didn't end up playing it very much. But yeah, Lego Star Wars, I really liked the Lego game, so it was fun. I think I had the same experience as you, Brendan, for the most part. Also, the Dick Smith order, so I think I had uni class in the morning, and then I came home probably around midday, and luckily it had arrived. I didn't, I didn't do Ghost Recon, I did Rabbids 3D, which was a very subpar... 2D platformer. Mistakes <laughs> <laughs> uh, were made. Yes. Well, you know, to be honest, I don't think any three of the Ubisoft games were fantastic. Maybe Rayman 3D was the best choice in hindsight, but I think I'd played... It's just another port of Rayman 2, right? So I think I'd played that on DS years ago. I wasn't, wasn't particularly keen to play it again at that point in time. But I also recall getting uh, Street Fighter, same as, as Luke, and that was, again, it, was, it felt more like a technical... like. It was interesting because of the, the tech rather than I really felt like playing Street Fighter handheld necessarily. But also Nintendogs plus Cats Toy Poodle Edition, if I recall which edition I got. Which is one of those cases where it, it's exactly what it says it is, right? It's, it's a sequel to Nintendogs. It added in Cats. Uh, it was certainly delivered on all fronts. I, don't, I think it was, a, you know, you could call it a good game. Uh, it's just... The novelty of Nintendogs probably isn't as uh, as present there uh, a second time round, especially when you're maybe a bit older and not as uh, uh, interested in, in those kind of pet sim games. But you know, it was I think I think it was the only first party game available, if I'm not mistaken, on launch day. Not understanding that a couple came out shortly after, but you can correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Yeah, I kind of forgot about the 3DS version of Nintendogs, because I, I liked the one on DS when it came out, but I was like, probably only 15 or something when that happened, but yeah, I don't often see the Nintendogs plus cats at like the retro game shops I go to, so I don't know how well it sold, and um, yeah, so I've never actually played that one. Well, Nintendogs is an interesting game for the context of the 3DS, not only because, as I said, I think it's the only launch title that Nintendo actually made, but the concept of Street Pass, which I don't know if we want to get into um, pretty soon, but probably also with the packing games as well, which we'll, we'll probably touch on, but that concept kind of started a little bit with the original Nintendogs, because if I recall, there was like some mode where you could like put it on like kind of your dog's walking and you could close your DS shell and you could you could sort of pass another person's dog uh, and trade presents, if I recall. And there was a couple of other DS games that tried similar stuff like Dragon Quest ten, uh, not 10, would have been 9, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was called Bark Mode. Yeah, Nintendogs, I think it was Bark Mode. Yeah, correct. And I think 
you know, that's clearly was the genesis of what became the system wide feature of Street Pass. I always find it very fascinating to see how Nintendo technologies always have a genesis somewhere, and uh, that genesis might not be where you expect it to be, but. They come up with these ideas, they gestate They gestate a bit and then they appear in, as one of their main selling points and I think that's what happened with Street Pass. And just to follow up on the um, point you made, so that was the case in Australia, Zach, that it was the only Nintendo uh, published game on launch, but this is another example of the weird uh, regional differences we still experienced with the 3DS and never really afterwards in that the US got... Steel Diver and Pilot Wings Resort on launch as well with the 3DS. So they had those three games. And I think the other one was was third party, but Samurai Warriors Chronicles was also a launch game in the US. But all three of those games we didn't get until May, so about two months before after launch. So there was definitely that time lag that very much felt like there was less games out on the 3DS in Australia than anywhere else. And given in the context that People in the US particularly were complaining about the lack of games and the lack of content on the 3DS, which became quite a big issue in the first year of the system. It adds another layer to the narrative, I think, that out of all those launch games we mentioned that we got, and there's some others that we haven't mentioned, like your Ridge Races and Asphalt, and really it was all games that were either ports or not really anything inspired. There wasn't really any original content that you could get at launch. Well, I think it's interesting because I, I know this will be a, a good test of everyone's uh, Nintendo trivia here. And we sort of talked about this with the GameCube with its launch lineup in that episode, so casual plug for that episode if you haven't, haven't listened to it. But I think this might be the first system without like a Mario universe game that was at launch. Like, yes. Pretty, pretty much, like, you know, if you count Luigi's Mansion as a, as a Mario game uh, for GameCube, then every other system prior to 3DS Mario was there, uh, and uh, not only was Mario not there at launch, he didn't have any, like, short-term, you know, window for a Mario game popping up. It wasn't like we were expecting one to come in May or June even. It was it'd be a few months, if I recall, if not longer before Mario would make his proper debut on, on the 3DS. So I think that's... It, it certainly took a lot of long-term fans by surprise, because, you know, if you look at... If, let's just, you know, use the American lineup, because it's... It's a bit more generous to, to Nintendo there. Pilot Wings, which you know seems like oh great big comeback of a of a beloved Nintendo franchise, but it's kind of like a me version that took the flying mode of um, Wii Sports Resort and and turned it into its own game. So it doesn't quite have the same aesthetic uh, appeal to say someone who was a big Pilot Wings SNES or 64 fan, even though I think Pilot Wings Resort is actually quite a fun game uh, and worth checking out. Uh, and then Steel Diver was uh, against a new IP, but again, very weird. Like controlling a submarine, I imagine in real life is quite, you know, awkward, quite janky, and they've definitely intentionally uh, made controlling a virtual submarine quite janky in this what i'd effectively call a a slow shmup uh if i if if i'm remembering the gameplay correctly yeah the only time i ever played steel diver was at a pre-release 3ds event at like a shopping center in perth and yeah it didn't seem like that good of a game 
I bought it for $8 from the EB Games, uh, put it in my 3DS once, I think, played around with it, and it never went back into that console. So I think right. that, that speaks volumes about Steel Diver. Though I know there are some defenders of Steel Diver out there. Yeah, so I, I think when you take all that and you look at what, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into was a, a slow ramp up of content from Nintendo over the, the next few months. You know, there's not a lot there that really pulls your long-time Nintendo fan in beyond it just being a Nintendo system uh, or but even some of the more broader audience because it's, you know, maybe Nintendogs they hoped was going to do that, but I don't think it had that effect in, in reaching the... And, you know, probably because of its prices in combination, right? It's different to buy a, a cheap DS and a copy of Nintendogs versus what was a quite expensive brand-new piece of tech to play a similar looking game, maybe a bit nicer, but at face value for a casual game player, probably not worth shelling out the dollars. And on dollars, I think we, we do need to mention how much it costs. So that was quite well, it was a large talking point about the system at the time. In Australia, it was $349 RRP at launch, and in the US, it was at the, at the 249 uh, price. So at the time, exchange rate-wise, it actually wasn't too dissimilar, actually, which was nice because sometimes Australia gets a bit screwed over when it comes to the prices of gaming hardware and the like. But that was a very unpopular price. Um, that was a very unpopular price point at the time, and it still is one of the talking points about the system. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong because I haven't read it yet, but I believe even Reggie mentions it in his uh, the book he released this year, doesn't he? I haven't read it. Yeah, I I think he does. He mentioned it. It was a big argument point between him and Japan over the over what should have been the price for that system. And I, and I think it's one of the scenarios where I think you know he talked about how with Wii he convinced them to pack in Wii Sports, and that worked well. But I don't know if he won. I don't think he won the argument for for 3ds and what it should cost. Yes, because I think. Again, I haven't read the book, so I don't want to put words in uh, Mr. Reggie's mouth, but I believe he was arguing that, oh, you need to have that 199 price point in the US just for, a, I think, psychological reason and just from out of marketing and consumer logic. And Japan was very much on the view of, no, this is new, innovative hardware. It needs to be at this point. And I guess as a hardware manufacturer, they probably wanted to make a, they didn't want to make a loss on the, on the hardware, they'd done that. They'd done that in previous generations, sold hardware at a loss, and it's not. I guess if you think about it from a business perspective, it's not a good, not a good strategy to be in. So they probably wanted a healthy profit out of every system they sold. So they set it at that price point, and I think the issue with the price point was, I think it was just a combination of the fact that there wasn't really any reason to buy 3ds. Yes, there was the all. I think they thought that they were going to ride the wave of technology. They were going to ride the wave of of three the 3D offering because it's very much prevalent in that announcement uh, of the 3DS at E3. But if you think about 2010, which we had just come off the back of 2009's Avatar, which, uh, well, funnily enough, we're about to hit, get Avatar 2 in about a month. <laughs> so this, this is quite fitting when we're talking about the 3DS. Reggie mentions during the announcement that he went to CES that year, the Consumer Electronics Show, and everything was 3D, 3D, 3D. And 
it was at the time all the TV manufacturers were coming out with 3D televisions. It was all like new technologies of the glasses and a lot of a lot of films on the back of Avatar were now filming in 3D and cinemas were very much pushing 3D for all the major blockbusters. So it did feel like that was the way of the future at the time. And It wasn't only Nintendo talking about 3D. At that same 2010 E3, Sony and Kaz Hirai were talking about how they're the only company offering an end-to-end system for like 3D production and viewing. So back in 2010 and 2011, 3D was a big deal. Yes, in hindsight, I find it quite, quite ironic that he mentions that, oh, the, well, Reggie mentions, oh, the big issue with this is there's nothing to play, there's nothing to watch on these TVs. And maybe it's a bit harsh, but you could level the same accusations of the 3DS in the first six months. There wasn't really anything to play or watch, which was one of the things they were trying to push on the 3DS. Yes, you could. Uh, yes, with your launch console. And I think all 3DS releases afterwards came with the AR augment reality cards. You could play around with that. You could. There, there was just some fun mini games through that. I think I played around with it the very first time. I opened my 3DS and started it up and uh, put it in the box and never actually touched them ever again. They're probably still in that box if I went to find the box today. So I, I feel like they fell into the trap of this idea of innovative 3D technology. They thought that it was going to be a big game changer. Of course, the glasses-free 3D that hadn't ever been done on a, on a, on a similar level. 3DS is probably one of the only examples of that being done at a um, wide-ranging consumer level, really. And I think it's probably indicative of the success that even though the 3DS went on to sell over 100 million co- um, consoles and was arguably a successful system that saw Nintendo through the failure of the Wii U. It's not technology that... It's probably a failure in terms of... If the conceit of the 3DS was, oh, it's, a, it's Glasses 3, 3D, this is going to be a game-changer in video gaming. Well, it really wasn't. By the time of the... By the back end of the 3DS life cycle, I think no game was really talking up the fact that it had 3D capabilities. I personally never really used the slider because I found that it gave me headaches due to my eyes, due to my um, probably my prescription. I I struggle with all three D forms, even the glasses in cinemas, and it just causes eye strain. So I really think that if we were to judge the three DS on that basis, I, I don't think it succeeded in terms of what they expected it to be. Yeah, I think so. First off, quickly, I know I joked about it. But personally, I did actually use the 3D pretty much for any game that, that had it. Very lucky to not have a need for glasses uh, currently, maybe in the not-too-distant future. I'm sure my eyesight will go. But at that time in particular, I could I can handle it. And I think once they did the revision, you know, we'll eventually go through all the revisions, but with the new 3DS and the head tracker um, that made the 3D a bit more stable if you moved left or right, that, that even solidified my use of it further. But I think you're right that the tech was not the selling point they thought it would be. Uh, there was a lot of messaging at the time of if you're, I think, 12 or 13, uh, sorry, under the age of 12 or 13, I can't remember specifically, do not use the 3D. Uh, and that I don't think helped. I think they had to say it probably for liability reasons. But, uh, you know, again, as a parent and a system that was heavily, you know, focused on a younger audience, you know, plus us, but kids were definitely a big factor 
of the success of, of 3DS in the end and you know, previous Nintendo handhelds, you know, that's, that's a tough thing to hear. You don't, want, you don't want to risk your kid's eyesight to video games more than you already thought you were. Uh, and again, it's similar to the Wii U and probably also suffered from the naming being, you know, 3DS. Uh, it might not be obvious it's a new system with new games that do not run uh, on the previous DSs. So if you're a parent with a 10-year-old, you're going, well, I'm not going to spend, you know, 250 US dollars, $350 to get uh, a 3DS uh, for my kid because they can't use the 3D anyway. So there's literally no point, notwithstanding in reality, there were games the kid might want to play that could only be done so on 3ds but again if you're a parent who's not super informed it was uh it was not necessarily what your mindset was thinking at that point in time so yeah i I agree the tech in some ways was uh probably one of its its biggest missteps uh in terms of its initial struggles uh and as you said i think was largely abandoned towards the end of the system's life with um a number of games not even having 3d as an option uh and also of course, the existence of the 2DS uh, systems allowing you to purchase a cheaper DS without the need for 3D, making the, the feature essentially, well, essentially unessential, right? Because <laughs> then they couldn't make any games that uh, required 3D in any heavy capacity going forward, or they risk cutting off you know, a large section of the audience. Uh, yeah, I think with that age limit that was like seven or eight years old, that they said if you're under that age, it's best not to use it. And then the 2DS was kind of aimed at kids anyway, so that was kind of a good solution for that. But uh, I'm keen to just like, you know, while we're still sort of in the realm of launch, I am sort of keen to get like what your thoughts were when you first tried the glasses free 3D, you know, because uh, I, I, I do think regardless of how commercially uh, accepted it was, I, I did find the technology quite impressive. <laughs> I mean, it was very, um, I think, again, similar to you, Luke, the first time I used a 3DS was at a preview event at the Nintendo Experience Store in Melbourne, which is sadly closed now. Um, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Uh, and, yeah, I was definitely, like, the novelty factor was in incredible uh at that point in time i can't remember what game i first tried it was probably the ar games if i was to to guess um if not nintendo it was one of the two uh and i was just well i can't believe this actually works as they claim it works and that was like in, i think even more uh true when i eventually got my own system and i think particularly those ar games where you're sort of circling around you know the real world and you know fighting that dragon or whatever it might be um an incredibly novel and um, you know cool experience at the time. Um, was that you know the feeling you guys had, or were you immediately not this is not for me and and put the slider straight down? I don't remember if it was before or after I had seen a three D movie in the cinema, but I really liked the three D to start with, like that first time I played it, and basically through the whole life of the three DS. I almost always had the slider turned all the way up, and I still love the 3D effect. I still love 3D movies like a few weeks ago, or probably a bit over a month ago, they re-released Avatar in 3D in cinemas, and I went to rewatch it. So yeah, I really loved the 3D effect. And on the new 3DS, as you said, it's even better. I think there's aspects that I enjoyed of the 3D effect, but 
outside of those AR games, I don't think I've really experienced it in the launch window because, as I said, I had Ghost Recon Shadow Wars and that that did support 3D, but it's a it's a top down strategy game, so the 3D effects in that game is not really that I guess impressive. Sure, it adds a little bit of depth to the backgrounds and the like, the 3D models, but it does. It's not really a game changer. I think there are some games that the three D effect really made the game pop. And even though I did have some issues with the headaches, as I mentioned, I there were particularly with the new three DS that had the better better tracking, the better um, quality three D um, slider effect. Uh, I think there were a lot of games that I would slight. I found that this sort of was an optimal point where you could slide the three D slider to give a nice popping effect without it being too heavy on the eyes. So the fact that they did have a slider and the fact that you could vary the effect of the 3D was a a good decision and I think was helpful overall. Well, we we skirted, well, we foreshadowed it with the price. So in the first year of the 3DS, which I think is a significant feature of the 3DS's history that we can't ignore, is that there was a price drop. Uh, and I haven't written it down in my notes, which uh, is probably a bit um, of a failure as a host of a or co-host of a podcast. But do you guys remember what the how much it dropped in price to? Was it? I know it dropped to two hundred in, in the US, but what did it drop to in Australia? Did it drop to three hundred, or or was it under three hundred? Was it like something weird, like two hundred and eighty? I can't remember. No, I, I I might be wrong, and Luke might remember better than I, but I, I was working at retail at the time, so I do remember some uh, JB Hi-Fi posters of our consoles up on our, our boards, and I, I'm pretty sure it was two ninety nine when it dropped. It dropped just due to the fact that it, it wasn't selling to Nintendo's forecasts and Nintendo's expectations, and I think that was due to the reasons that we've discussed, that there wasn't enough games, there wasn't a reason to own the console, there was a confusion between the 3DS and the DS, and I think ultimately it probably was a bit too expensive compared to the DS. That parents of children that were looking to buy a console for young Jimmy for his birthday or Easter or Christmas would go and say, well, I can buy a DS for probably at that point $100 or $150, and oh, there's this new console, but it's another $200. I don't think... I don't think he needs to get that console, so uh, maybe next maybe maybe next Christmas. So I think that was definitely a hurdle they had to overcome. And in hindsight, the price drop and then subsequent games that were releasing on the horizon worked because they dropped the price just before games like Mario 3D Land released, like Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time port, like. Star Fox 3DS, which was the Lilac Wars uh, remake as, as we know it as we knew it in Australia, and uh, they really got back on track. I think in very Nintendo style, they offered the ambassador program to people who bought the console at launch. So the ambassador program was a series of, was it 20 games? Yeah, 20 games, wasn't it? 10 NES games and 10 GBA games they offered to um, yeah. as a free download to all um, owners of the 3DS in that early period. And, in tandem with the Ambassador program, that was also at a similar time that, that they launched the eShop, right? Or was that a different time? Because 
the 3DS was one of the last consoles where the online store didn't launch with the console, correct? Or am I getting that wrong? I don't think the eShop was at launch, was it? Uh, the eShop came out at E3, um, the E3 after the system launched. So it'd be about June. Um, but I think the Ambassador program was after the eShop, because I think that was probably... I think the price cut happened, what, in August, if I recall? Yeah, after E3, yes. So that, that would make sense. Interesting, actually. I don't know if this is accurate or not. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I've just gone to the Ambassador program, so I want to look at the list of games. It says here in the US it actually dropped to $169.99 from $249.99, which is bonkers. Oh. It's a big drop. It's like over, uh, you know... Not fifty, over fifty dollars. Um, anyway, it does besides the point. A lot of money came off the system, and maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe Australia, we went to two fifty. Um, either way, we definitely saw a big price cut. But yeah, the ambassador program is is again one of those things that in history of of the peculiarities of the 3ds um, is always going to stand out to me because not only you know you get a little specific app that just says you are an ambassador and that's about it. Um, and that's the only way to get it. But all those games were also exclusively via the Ambassador program. They never... Uh, there might be a couple of the NES ones that I'm forgetting got turned into, um, what do you call them, like the 3D classics. I, I don't think so, but there might have been some. But the, the Game Boy Advance ones in particular, no, you could not get them any other way. There was no option for a normal you know, 3DS user post the ambassador program period to buy those games. They said it was uh, going to be exclusive Game Boy Advance games to the ambassadors, and then people always said that eventually they will release it to everyone, but no, they never did. And not even like just those games, they never made other GBA games playable uh, at all. Um, I mean, again, I might be forgetting of a random third-party port that somebody did, but... Um, Certainly none no, of those. There's no there's GBA virtual console. Uh, and they're all pretty big games, you know. We're talking we're talking like your Metroid uh, fusions and your, you know, Minish Caps, uh, like like flagship titles for the um for the Game Boy Advance that were you know, still held up and were, were quite bulky. So I mean it was you know, personally <laughs> if um if I had my time again, I'd do the same thing because uh, the ability to play those games on a 3DS, uh, be it they didn't have 3D, I don't think, um, was worth that extra cost for me personally. Um, so it was, and it, it makes sense, right? If you're a, a hardcore Nintendo fan, uh, the value of exclusive Nintendo games on a on a system is always going to be pretty high. I would I would think, and I imagine there's a decent contingent of people that that ambassador wave you'd have to be a pretty hardcore nintendo fan to justify the purchase uh so i think you know for me at least it, it made me feel okay about it i'm curious to see for you guys if if you did have any buyer's remorse at launch and then did this sort of rectify it in any way no i had no issue with it i thought it was a great value to add on there especially after the price drop and no, i didn't have any buyer's resource uh, buyer's remorse anyway so yeah i was just happy with the extra games i agree i at the time i was still in high school so well my capacity to buy games was still relatively limited so it didn't really bother me and i know that in the first year of the console and 
or still to this day, if I went into my 3DS and looked at the statistics uh, playbook uh, app thing that you can go and look at how much time you put in different games that or Fire Emblem Sacred Stones, which was one of the ambassador programs, which well, I owned on the GBA at the time anyway, was one of my most played games in that first year because I was just enjoying GBA games. I was enjoying the NES games that gave me an opportunity to explore games I'd never touched, like the original Zeldas, the original Metroid on the NES, and it, it, I, I enjoyed it very much from that perspective. So for me, it wasn't like... I guess the price drop wasn't really a moment that triggered buyer's remorse or anything. It was really probably helped by the fact that I didn't pay retail price on the 3DS at the mm. time. Anyway, it launched due to that Dick Smith deal that it was sort of, I wasn't upset about it at the time for memory. And uh, I think coupled with the fact that as 2011 went on, more and more games were launching. Yes, a lot of them were ports, but you started to get heavy hitters and you got all Mario Kart 7 and, I think we'll probably pivot to talking about games after we talk about console um, revisions, but it felt like there was momentum gaining for the system that it was a system worth owning. Uh, Before we talk about console revisions, and only because we've talked about it a few times, and it was their day one, unlike the eShop, do we want to quickly talk about Street Pass in the the system itself? Because for me, you know, I, um, what was it, a few months ago, they had this like, option to like log into some social media website and you could pick your your favorite 3ds and wii u games uh and share them in like a some sort of like social media campaign to to remember those two systems i don't know why nintendo did it but it was very fascinating and a, and a fun day or two on twitter seeing what, what everyone did um back when twitter could be fun and for me i put the 3ds um street pass plaza i think it was called as my my number one one you know experience on that system because it was such a interesting idea uh and executed i think very very well in terms of it being you know core to the system so everybody had that plaza and those two you know the street pass quest and the the puzzle the names always I forget because they're different between the US and Australia and, and I never really called them by their proper names anyway, but the the Find Me or the Puzzle Piece Collection one, they were just so simple but, you know, so fun. And this this weird, like, asymmetric multiplayer of, you know, for those who don't know how Street Pass works, it's effectively if you kept your 3DS on but, you know, closed in sleep mode and you're walking around the streets of, you know, wherever you live, uh, if you pass another 3DS user, the NFC sort of pings and trades a little bit of data from, from each system. And that, you know, when you open up your 3DS, you can go, oh, I passed, you know, I think at the launch it was 10 people was the cap. But I passed 10 people and you could, in Street Pass Quest, use their Miis to be little soldiers and keep fighting in this sort of linear RPG. Uh, and then in the puzzle piece uh, game, you could uh, basically take a, piece of a puzzle that they've got and put into your puzzle and you just it's almost like trading pieces till everyone completes every single picture and you know incredibly simple but incredibly fun and it sort of encouraged you know me uh to take my 3ds everywhere i went um because i always wanted to get some hits and you know complete those puzzle pieces so um yeah keen keen to get your thoughts uh both of you on on street pass 
Yeah, I live in a small city, so I never really bothered trying to use it very much. I, I think I did a few times and like maybe got one. But when I would go to Perth, uh, I would take it with me and I would usually get a few, which was nice, but not a whole lot. And then the best street pass experience ever was going to PAX in 2016 mm. and 2017, where we would just get constant street passes. And then in 2019, when I went, there was like kind of dying by that point, and there was nowhere near as many. I really enjoyed street pass. I think it was a fantastic part of the console, a fantastic offering that the 3DS brought to the table. It particularly if you lived in a city, and I, I know there are issues that if you lived in a country town like or a smaller town like that Luke did and does, that you didn't necessarily get the hits that you would if you lived in a large city, but it, it really gave a reason to carry around your 3DS. Sure, it's a portable console. Sure, I guess by its nature, you'd be taking it around for your commute or to kill time when you're on the train or bus or, uh, or the like, but Street Pass really enhance that by well you wanted to take it with you because you wanted to complete those puzzles in um i think it's called puzzle swap or something like that you wanted to complete your puzzles in that uh, part of the um, things you wanted the conquer street parts quest you wanted to see and also on a on a level you just wanted to see who was around who like how many other people played the 3ds or owned a 3ds it it made you feel like you were part of a community of console owners and I always enjoyed the fact that if you carried it around with you for a couple of weeks in a row, you'd start to see the same people over again and um, and the console would recognise that. And in things like Street Pass Quest, the more you saw someone, the higher level that their me was to help you. So there was that aspect of, oh, well, I don't know who this person is. I've never spoken to this person at all, but, well, I've clearly walked by them or been in the same tram carriage or train carriage or or room with them for like 10 20 times and that was just an interesting concept so i think it was definitely a system seller um for actually i revised that comment i don't think it was a system seller um but i think it was a very good addition to the console that really it gave extra life to the 3ds and i am to this day still very disappointed that nintendo didn't carry the idea on with the switch because Sure, the Switch isn't as portable as a 3DS, but plenty of people still carry their Switch around. I know I do on occasion, and it would be nice to have that functionality again, but I think for whatever reason they've moved on, and I think that is a real shame. Maybe towards the end of this episode we can talk about There's quite a few things this 3DS did that did not live uh, on to the Switch. Uh, again, again, end of an era really, I think... Is a, is a the tagline of a 3ds for me, but yeah, I think I think Street Pass for me is definitely the biggest loss uh, in the newest system. And I hope you know, you know, we sort of talked about how in of itself 3ds was a reinvigoration of an idea from Nintendogs. Um, maybe in a in a future system or a future game, somebody will go, hey, this is the time to to bring it back in in a new form. Because, yeah, I think that sense of community, I mean, Luke mentioned PAX, uh, you know, in Australia, you know, anyone that has uh, been lucky enough to go to either a video game or probably even like an anime convention or anything like that in um, any part of the world would uh, would have experienced that that fun of like getting, you know, many, many, many hits uh, in, in, in a short time frame. And it almost became like this, like, 
I was about to say AR game. Is that the right term? Like, kind of. Like this meta game of, of stuff like packs to just really focus in on getting as many puzzle pieces, completing, you know, multiple levels in Street Pass Quest. Or, you know, in later years, there was extra 3DS um, Street Pass games you could purchase uh, to give you a bit more to, to play around with if, if you hadn't had your fill. Yeah, I think it, was, it really enhanced those conventions um, and large gatherings. So for me, I really would love to see that, you know, return in some capacity, but um, it's hard to tell if it will or won't. We've been hinting at it across this episode. The 3DS in the in the tradition of the DX saw a few revisions of the console hardware throughout its life. And as we can see by the Switch, that's continued in that. Uh, Nintendo handheld tradition that they generally iterate on the hardware and they'll during a console's lifespan they will release more new versions of the console that are different or superior in some way sometimes the base console will be made obsolete sometimes it'll be sort of a companion that does something different like well if we take the switch the switch light that was well didn't make the original switch obsolete but was a different way of a different way of playing the Switch and uh, using the Switch. So the 3DS saw a few revisions. So there was the the 3DS XL was the first one. Then you had the was the 2DS before or after the new 3DS? No, it was the it was the the Wedge 2DS was was next, and then it was the new 3DS, then new 2DS. I think that's it. Yeah, Luke and, better because he did the video. <laughs> And, and the new 3DS XL you missed there as well. Oh, yeah, yes, which new, came out at the, the new one time. and the small one was the same, yeah. But yes, the, um, the new... I, I always forget that the new 2DS was a thing, actually. I don't think I've actually ever seen one anywhere, actually. I, I've seen the 2DS, but I've um, never seen uh, that. But I guess, disregarding my ramblings, uh, which of the revisions did you guys get? Did you get them all, or did you only get certain ones? I, I personally only got the launch 3DS and the new 3DS also at launch of the new 3DS, which, as Luke alluded to at the very start of the episode, actually did happen in Australia first, which I think is going to be probably lived down in history as one of the few times that we get one of these consoles first. And it, it, that that was something that I really enjoyed, it, just out of novelty sake, even even though materially it didn't really make a difference to anything at all. It was It was nice just having that feeling of getting the console first. Yeah, so I, uh, as I said before, got like the first 3DS at launch, and then the XL, I think my brother got it at launch, and I wasn't really sure if I wanted one until I saw his for the first time, so I got it, I think, a few days later, and it was a pretty good upgrade. I was happy because it's like an improvement over the original and with the bigger screens and everything, but one thing that always bothered me was like, with the bigger screen, the pixel density was a lot lower and the graphics didn't look as good. So when the new 3DS, the small one, came out, I went back to that. And that is like the perfect system. It's the best bit of hardware Nintendo's ever made. And then later on, I just kind of kept using that one. I didn't get the new XL and the 2DS and the new 2DS until kind of 2019, 2020, when I was in preparation for doing my 30, um, 10th anniversary video. 
because I wanted to have one of every system to show in that. But yeah, um, it was like the new 3DS is the one I like the most, especially with its wooden faceplate. It just looks amazing. I got the faceplate as well, and I, it it does really stand up as one of my favourite pieces of gaming hardware as well. I still pull it out time to time to play. And well, of course, any time I want to play a DS or 3DS game, that's my go-to console. I don't even don't even know where my original launch 3DS is these days. I, I think I might have given it to my sister and she probably has it in a drawer somewhere. Uh, what about you, Zach? Which, which of the revisions did you grab your hands on? And uh, I guess probably another perspective you can offer since you worked in retail during part of yep. the 3DS life and would have seen some of the, the revision talk. I guess how, how were the revisions, I guess, received in a sort of retail environment? Yeah, well, I'll quickly just go through what I picked up and then I'll talk about my anecdotal retail experience um, from one store's worth of data uh, in Australia. Yeah, so I got, obviously, blue 3DS at launch, which we mentioned before. Uh, 3DS XL I got, but I waited for a special edition because that was not an essential upgrade in my mind. Uh, and so I got a, I think it was a Pikachu 3DS XL, which I had to import from the UK because it didn't release in Australia. Uh, and that was my go-to system for quite a while until, yeah, the new 3DS family of systems. I, I, I skipped the wedge, the uh, the 2DS in its wedge doorstopper shape um, and then waited for the new 3DS. Definitely the hype of the only Australian Nintendo Direct I think we ever got. And the fact we were getting it first over overtook me um, to, to compel me to give that um, system a, a purchase day one. Unlike you guys, I went with the XL version because while I uh, loved the idea of the faceplates, which, you know, for those who haven't seen one, the new th- th- uh, Nintendo 3DS, not the extra large version, uh, you could customize the, the front of the system or the top of the system, whatever you want to call it, with different faceplates. I think, um, again, one of those features that they thought would, would maybe live on longer than it did in terms of how many faceplates they would release. But besides the point, there were still quite a few and I'm a very good, uh, I don't know if modding's the right term, but like custom faceplate scene I think existed for a good while on online, probably still does today if you wanted to buy something. But you know, I like the big screens, so I was like, no, I'm going for the big system and got the blue one there. Uh, and that's why I ended. I didn't didn't bother with the 2DSs um, because as I mentioned earlier, I like the 3D and um, unless you're, you know, uh, uh, needing to have one of each for a video like Luke did or I just like to collect things um, for the sake of it. Uh, there's, there's not much point getting a 2DS if you own a 3DS because, again, you can just turn the slider down and it does the same thing. So I just didn't feel the need. But, yeah, how did it go at retail? I mean, I'm sure you could pull up sales data to see how they all sold globally. But the vibe for me was definitely um, that the 2DSs had a lot of uh, life to them. I, I think they the cheaper price point was probably the big thing there. And again, a lot of people didn't need the 3D. So they sold quite well. Uh, and I think the XLs tended to sell better than the smaller ones because, again, the price differential on the flip side was not that much more. Uh, and it was enough. People would typically be like, yeah, the bigger one makes a lot more sense when they compared them side by side. Plus, if I recall... Uh, we had a number of 3DS demo units over the years in the stores. 
uh, set up in you know sort of hardwired into the into the wall. But pretty much after the original version was replaced, they always had an XL uh, a, a variant as the demo unit, uh, which makes sense. It's a lot easier to you know if one person's playing it, other people could walk past and see what they're doing and and go, oh yeah, that looks cool. I'm going to buy one. So the XL is much better for that. Uh, but as a result, I think it was also became more appealing in the first one in people's mind to purchase if they were you know there without already having made up their mind of which system they were were going to buy yeah and then in the us when the new model came out they didn't uh, even release the small one to start with like it was released quite a bit later they only released like the new xl for a while yes but as we all know americans have bigger hands it's like with the <laughs> the original xbox uh, duke controller that that was a really large controller, and they had to release the revision co- controller that was smaller for, well, particularly the Japan market, but I think just globally as well. Yeah. So surely that's why. <laughs> be in- I reckon it'd be interesting to know how Japan split was, because I could definitely see the smaller units probably being more popular there than they were in the West, because um, for that very reason. Uh, yeah, and then also just again, space is always. Uh, something you need to save uh, when you're there, uh, and uh, you know every everything's just a bit smaller, right? Pockets, etc. That you've got things to carry around in. Yeah, I, I could see them potentially being more successful in Japan, which is again probably why Nintendo kept making small versions instead of uh, just completely going full, full big. With the new 2DS XL, that is actually quite a bit smaller than the regular 3DS XL. Like the it's got way smaller bezels and just kind of slimmer all around. So um, if if you want the big screens but a smaller system, that's a good one to go with. I actually didn't, I actually didn't know that. That's an interesting fact. And I think to answer your question, Zach, from scraping my mind, because I used to follow the weekly Japanese sales when they were still available, but unfortunately you can't really get the figures anymore to the same degree, but... It was definitely the case in Japan that the normal size 3DS did outsell the XL. Like, there was a market for the XL. The XL still was selling, and the 3DS was a very high seller in Japan. But there was a preference for uh, the new 3DS over the XL, and I think the 2DS, the new 2DS over the new 2DS XL. But I'm, I'm that's all just I might be wrong there. That my my memory might be failing me. Well, we've talked a lot about the hardware. Is it time we start talking about the games, which is 3DS games? I mean, first off, by default, obviously plays DS games. We're not going to talk about native, uh, sorry, for DS games in this one. We're really going to focus on 3DS native software, uh, is what I'm going to refer to it as. And obviously the price drop we mentioned before helped in turning around the 3ds but the games i think were absolutely the reason this system ended up being you know one of the more successful handhelds and and systems um that nintendo have put out uh over the years and i think it really kicked off you know we kept talking about this drought of games and i think if we compared it to other systems this drought actually felt probably quite short um but at the time it definitely felt long because, you know, if we look at 2011, the launch year, you know, we got, you know, Ocarina of Time 3D, Star Fox 64 3D, two, you know, remakes of beloved 
Nintendo 64 games, but then also Super Mario 3D Land and Mario Kart 7 uh, by the end of the year as well. You know, a lot of people swear by 3D Land as, as one of the best Mario games, particularly one of the best handheld ones. And it was one of the few games that did some clever stuff with 3D in terms of some of the puzzle solving. And then, you know, Mario Kart, even the worst Mario Kart, is going to be quite a big deal for any system. Uh, and despite this one missing Waluigi for whatever reason, and that's probably is the uh, the worst Mario Kart just because of that reason alone, it, uh, you know, made for a fantastic bundle game. I think going forward, you would often see uh, Nintendo 3DSs with Mario Kart 7 as a, as a pack-in, uh, particularly around that sort of holiday season because it's just... Mario Kart plus Nintendo system is a no-brainer. <laughs> Nintendo knows that. I think except for like the Pokemon bundles, almost every 2DS had um, Mario Kart 7 pre-installed. Yeah, again, it was just... It's the game you put in because everybody wants Nintendo systems to play Mario Kart. <laughs> it stands alone as a good Mario Kart game as well. Mario Kart 7 is a very good Mario Kart game. It's not just... Oh, is a Mario Kart port on your handheld console that it very much does stand on its own as an enjoyable game and was one of the first, well, arguably the first one to have a stable online ecosystem to play with. I, I know you could take Mario Kart Wii online, but there were always some limitations there in the Wii's online that didn't make it that enjoyable to play. Like, it was fine, but I really felt like the 3DS was Nintendo's first proper online console at the same time. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Rather than like, I mean, we could go through what the the 3DS was active from what 2011 till about, oh, probably 2017, 18. Probably 18 would be the last year that there was some notable releases. Uh, maybe maybe some in 19, but it was it was really at that point slim pickings. Uh, so it's you know quite a, a long lifespan though, uh, of, of releasing games, and quite a lot of games. I mean, rather than go through every year. And sort of dissect them. Do we want to talk about some of the the bigger games? I'm not, not talking the small eShop stuff because we're going to get to that afterwards. I know, um, but some of the bigger games that really defined our time with the system uh, and just really stick out when you think 3DS and fond memories. What you know, these are the first ones that come to mind. I don't know, Brendan, if you want to start with just some again, you know, it doesn't have to be in an order. And just a few thoughts and some games that you really loved. Uh, during your time with your 3DS? Sure, if I'm to... I guess we might go around and talk about a few, but if I'm to... Two at the moment stick to mind, if I'm to think about, I guess, games that were iconic for the 3DS or just significant. And the first one, I'd say, probably an interesting choice, but I'd still argue for it, is Super Smash Brothers for 3DS, which released before Super Smash Brothers for Wii U when they used the weird... Uh, terminology for those games and uh yes i'd argue that the 3ds version became a bit obsolete when the wii u version came out for me anyway i didn't really play it again after buying it on wii u when that was my way to play smash but i think it was just significant from the fact that it's the first time a smash brothers or and still is the only time arguably a smash brothers game was on a handheld console if we don't count the switch as a handheld console and Yes, it had a and it had a bit more of a single player focus than the Wii U game did, and they try and a different graphical style as well, of course, because 
different hardware limitations and the like. And I, I think it, very, it, it it succeeded in doing what Nintendo wanted to do. It hyped Super Smash Brothers. I don't, I, and I assume there's people that probably that was the only way they consumed that Super Smash Brothers game because the Wii U sold so, so poorly. I, I've never actually looked at the sales figures. I don't know which one sold more or not. One of you might be able to correct me, but I, I think that was a significant moment. And the other game I'd mentioned would be Fire Emblem Awakening because as listeners of the show would know, I'm a huge Fire Emblem fan. It's one of my favourite Nintendo franchises. And that was the game that very much saved the Fire Emblem franchise. And that's the one that ever since Fire Emblem Awakening, it's become one of the Nintendo's core franchises. So they've released frequent games every couple of years. They all sell really well. And it has quite a following, a, a much larger following than it did before Awakening. And even if we take away that aspect of the conversation, Fire Emblem Awakening itself is just a very enjoyable game. It's, I wouldn't say it's my favourite Fire Emblem, but it's one of the better ones. It has a very tight story. It has it has good gameplay. It iterates a bit on the formulas. And it'll, at the same time, it, it made Fire Emblem more accessible with a casual mode and uh, just a bit more palatable because before that game, it very much had the reputation of being a very i guess hardcore nintendo franchise and i think to a degree that reputation is still there but i think it is a much more accessible franchise now and really if it wasn't for the if it wasn't for the 3ds if it wasn't for awakening i don't think we'd be seeing any fire emblem games anymore so yeah those are the two i'd start with very good choices i yeah i agree with both of those i mean uh, awakening I think it was probably the f- second Fire Emblem I got really into after Path of Radiance and the GameCube, which I didn't own, but I played with a friend who owned it. Yeah, I agree. It was such a big step forward. In it. Is that the first one you could turn off um, perma- permadeath? Is, is it Awakening, I think? In the West, yes. Uh, the very first game you could turn off uh, permadeath was the uh, Mystery of the Emblem on DS, but that was uh, Japanese only. Okay, okay. Very cool. This is why we have you on the podcast, Brendan. You're a Fire Emblem uh, fishing audio. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that, I think it really um, hit the right blend of, of accessibility while not denying too much of the hardcore uh, experience a Fire Emblem fan like yourself may have been seeking. Uh, and I think the new aesthetics, the new art style, because I think they swapped. Well, I, got a, I can't remember their name. There's a pretty famous uh, manga artist, I think, yes. who's brought in to do the art and this i think stuck with the series since um but i think that looked you know that gelled really well and uh you know testament to it fire Emblem is now now one of nintendo uh one of their bigger franchises so certainly a, a flagship title um in that in that series uh, and then smash i agree i i wanted a handheld smash since game boy advance really um because i thought it was definitely achievable and and while well, so getting used to things like you know mario kart and everything else getting handheld versions, why doesn't Smash Brothers? And it took into the 3DS to happen. And, I, you know, it was a fun few months before the Wii U version came out. I think my only disappointment with it was just, I always envisioned if they were going to do a handheld Smash, it would have been great if they, like, picked characters that focused on handheld games, if that makes sense. Like, I always thought, you know, make a handheld Smash and put in, like, the Elite Beat Agents or... 
I don't know, like just there's those games that sort of stuck to handhelds, like Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, etc. I like put a few of those characters in um, that maybe didn't transition over to the to the home console version. Um, but instead, it was the exact same lineup, which also meant that when you got the Wii U version, it was a bit of a it wasn't quite as exciting because you you already knew every character in the game, and for me, the the discovery of new characters is a a big part of the joy of Smash Brothers or any sort of uh, fighting game. But yeah, you know, I, I you know two very very heavily played games for me as well, and and big parts of that system's history, and at two different ends, you know, Fire Emblem much earlier on in the the system's life cycle, and. Uh, Smash, um, not not at the end, but in the latter half, I'd say of the of the 3DS's life. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't really comment on Fire Emblem and Smash because I'm not really into those games. But in the kind of early years of the 3DS, one of the games I really loved that, or like not in not including the obvious Mario games and everything, but Heroes of Ruin, I had a huge amount of fun playing that. It's kind of like a Diablo sort of action RPG, mm-hmm. and um, I never really got to play it online, but it had like full online multiplayer as well with friends or randoms, even with voice chat, I think. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really fun action RPG. You should go back and play it if you can. Um, and then a bit later on, in 2013 or whatever it was, um, yeah, a Kid Icarus Uprising. Because I remember mm. that coming out and seeing all the hype about it and everything, and it kind of looked fun, but at that sort of time, I wasn't really sure how much I was into kind of action games like that. Uh, but I was on a holiday in Victoria, and I had my 3DS with me, and I needed something new to play, so I went down to the local EB and saw that and picked it up, and yeah, I just loved it. It's such a fun game. And bought the iconic... 3ds accessory that was widely used afterwards with the stand yeah that's the one <laughs> i've still got that stand i've still got mine as well and well it's one of the one of the reasons we started this podcast because uh, one of the ideas topics we had was around the the interesting uh control scheme of kid Icarus uprising which was very divisive at the time and well is the reason the stand exists and I, I agree with you. Kid Icarus Uprising is one of my favourite games in the system. If if I was putting together a top three, a top five of games as a whole, like including eShop games and retail release games, like that would be up there for me easily. It's it's pure Masurai Sakurai game design. Has all the fun challenges that he puts in Smash Brother games. It has really tight gameplay and uh, very fun well, writing, as everyone would know who's played that game. It's it's just a very fun game from start to finish and it has a lot of replayability as well at the same time. Really, the only thing, yeah, it, and it even has online, so like it really offered everything. I don't, I don't know how much longevity that online mode had. I, I played it a few times and had some fun with it. I know, I believe the um, Aussie Nintendo game played it a bit at the time as well, but um, my vague memories, I think it was mainly yeah, Mario Kart 7, but I think we did right. do... We did do Kid Icarus Uprising as well. Yeah, I mean, Kid Icarus Uprising was such a good revival of a, like, to be honest, not not a particularly deep franchise with two games to its name. Uh, and a Smash appearance. <laughs> and, and a Smash appearance, which 
to be honest, the Smash appearance is like the first steps to that rebranding of and revival of, of Kid Icarus, obviously with Sakurai helming both. But yeah, God, that game was so ambitious. Like, as you mentioned before, the writing, but it's not just writing, it was voice acting. <laughs> like, it was. It was it was good voice acting in I don't know about Japanese I assume it was fine but in English it was good it wasn't like the usual they've got someone off the street and they sound incredibly awkward it was you know really good uh, known voice actors from like the anime scene uh, and it, it just you know Palutena Pitt did fantastic jobs both of them uh, Hades uh, and I'm blanking on the other girl's name that is like an assist trophy in Smash but um, Viridi. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all of them, fantastic. Uh, but also, like, and probably often forgot until you dig through your cupboard, had an entire like AR trading card game thing linked to it as well. Like, you got a few cards with the game, and then you could buy like packs. And I don't think it was particularly successful, but again, they just really went all out in uh, this game in this world, and and it's just a, such a shame that at this point of recording, they have yet to capitalize on all the work Sakurai did to revive and flesh out the Kid Icarus world because you could you could easily make another game <laughs> with that cast on Switch or anything and it would um, I think it would be incredibly successful. Yeah, because for a portable system like the 3DS, that game had such high production values that you don't usually see on a portable system. It's usually more for a like home console which, you know, we see now with the Switch, but for back then, it was just such an amazing game. And I think really, and you, you hit the nail, Zach, it's, it was that first time that a Nintendo published game embraced things like voice acting, embraced things like, well, I wouldn't say embraced things like having an amusing story because there's the original Paper Mario games, but and there's many quirky and fun Nintendo games out there before and after Kid Icarus, but... I think it was just the entire package and it was just a bit cinematic and in a period where all the major 3DS games or a lot of major 3DS games were either ports or sort of reiteration on existing formula, it it did feel like it stood apart. I might quickly talk about my set of most remembered 3DS games. I'm not saying these are the best, but I think they're very good and they stick out a lot because these three... Well, one of them's a bit of a cop-out. It's not a game. It's it's a few games, but you'll see why I'm talking about it in a second. But they would all be games I would call that they hit zeitgeists. They were all over. Again, social media was really prevalent during the 3DS era, Twitter, Facebook, etc. Uh, but also just amongst people I knew. I was, again, luckily at uni for most of the 3DS life and then obviously left uni and through to my adult uh, working career. Uh, and knew a lot of people from video game clubs and the like who had 3DSs. And these are some of the games that a lot of people had uh, and were playing, and just there was a lot of talk about them. Uh, the first one, I think very obvious, uh, and repeated in by probably 10, 20 in, in 2020 was Animal Crossing uh, New Leaf. Uh, when that came out on 3DS, I think that version of Animal Crossing was... It was the best at the time. I would all probably argue it's still the best uh, Animal Crossing. I'm sure someone will argue for New Horizons, but I think a lot of people would actually side with me on this, that New Leaf was the best. It, it did some great things by giving you a lot more options in terms of how you manage a town. You can make things like start later and stay open till later. So, again, particularly as a, as a, 
uh, a young adult, I tended to be staying up more to like two or three a.m. most nights and getting up at uh, noon uh, a lot of the time. So having Tom Nook open at eleven and shut at like one a.m. was was very welcome. It had great online uh, and had you know a lot of things to do. Actually, when you connected together, you could play mini games together, which was a new thing for that version of the game, uh, and then dropped for New Horizons. There was just so much talk about, you know, how to get the most bells, like going to the island and getting the bugs. Like, it was an absolute, again, in the sort of 3DS community, it was hard to avoid Animal Crossing New Leaf chatter. Probably, you know, not to the same extent that we couldn't avoid New Horizons chatter during you know, <laughs> early 2020, but certainly that same vibe, uh, for me at least. Uh, so that was that was such a fun and for me again I have a very personal love of Animal Crossing because it's the one game my mum plays she put in probably over a thousand hours into New Leaf I think um, I think I probably stood at like 400 hours or something um, she she played a lot more than me and she you know I gave her my original 3DS and she played it on that so uh, yeah it was it was fun to play with her and, and that kind of stuff so that definitely sticks out as a, a iconic 3DS game for myself uh, and the other ones, uh, Tomodachi Life, which probably wasn't as many people, but being because it was so memeable in, in some of the scenes that occur in that <laughs> game. So, so what Tomodachi Life? It's actually a sequel to a Japanese-only uh, release, which I think effectively had the same name if you were to translate it to English. Notwithstanding, Tomodachi itself is a is a Japanese word, but <laughs> let's not get into that specifically. Uh, but yeah, it, it was kind of like you just make you know you get the me's of of yourself and friends and you can make more me's if you need to again you could take advantage of the 3ds street pass and all the me's you collected there from people and, and chuck them into the game anyway they all sort of took on these personalities and lived in like a big apartment complex and they kind of just went around and lived their lives and you're kind of like just this god guy watching over them and maybe trying to influence them a little bit into what they do and and don't do but it's just fun to see the interactions between uh, everyone and um you know i think if you if you want a taste of it there was a very good short nintendo direct i think dedicated to the announcement of tomodachi life in the west uh featuring like bill trinan and uh awada and, and reggie i think uh in the game and it's, it's worth a watch because it's got such quirky you know unique nintendo humor uh, i loved that when it came back in mitomo you know rest in peace mitomo <laughs> I really hope we do see something of that vibe again. I, we had Utopia on on 3DS as well at the end, and and the Switch, which continued that same vibe. But I think Tomodachi Life was a much bigger game in terms of the the again the amount of people playing it and the amount of like posts I saw online uh, about it as well uh, during its uh, you know probably first few months of from launch. Yeah, I don't remember when Tomodachi Life launched, but I got it in, uh, like, looking at my 3DS now, the end of 2016, and I put 36 hours into it, apparently, and I loved it so much. It's just, like, really fun with all the different characters and all the silly different things that can happen, and, yeah, I, I don't like Animal Crossing, but I really do love Tomodachi <laughs> Life because of, like, all the silly stuff in it. Yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot less game in some respects, but it's so like you don't have to do as much as what i'm saying as like an animal crossing or or anything like that but it was just yeah it's just so weird and fun and like there's nothing remotely like it in the market that i can think of 
And even The Sims, right? Like it's it's not as simple as just make some Sims and see them do weird stuff. Uh, you've you've got to do too much tweaking. <laughs> Before I move on to the last one, Brendan, was, have you played either Animal Crossing or, or Tomodachi Life? No, I never did. Uh, Animal Crossing, my first one I really played was uh, Horizons in 2020. And Tomodachi Life, I, like you, I saw the memes, I saw the tweets, all the different things people would do. Um, well, could even post it on Meverse at the time when Meverse was a 3DS thing as well. And uh, mm. I thought it was a very interesting concept, but I, I guess just from the perspective of it not seeming to be much of a game there, I... I didn't end up picking it up and I'd never played it, but I'm glad to hear it kind of lived up to its quirky vibe. Yeah, no, it did. Uh, And I guess the last one, and this is like, I think you can't avoid talking about a Nintendo handheld without bringing up this franchise is just Pokemon. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'm not specifically wanting to talk about any of them in particular, though if either of you want to, you're welcome to. But yeah, I, th- I think it's the hard press to say Pokemon as a franchise did not sell a lot of 3DS units. Uh, I think it definitely was a big part of its continued success. And it was interesting to see Pokemon jump into 3D for the first time, get rid of the sprite-based uh, both characters in terms of the overworld, but also the Pokemon themselves were all 3D models, uh, sort of like Pokemon Stadium was back in the day. And it's just a really interesting era because you sort of start with some pretty like typical Pokemon games, you know, eight gyms, linear order, and then you get a bit more experimental with Sun and Moon, and they did the, you know, the trials instead of the gyms. And while it was sort of the same thing, it was it was different enough to feel fresh, which was very um very cool, you know, as a Pokemon fan to have some sort of shake up <laughs> to an extent. And I think it's always going to be looked back on fondly by the really hardcore Pokemon community that sort of. At, you know, particularly, uh, I think the Gen Gen Eight, the Sun and Moon generation, as um, it was the last time we got a Pokemon game, and I think this will this may get changed in the future again if you're listening in ten, fifteen years. But the last one where every Pokemon at the point of its release was accessible, and you could transfer them in and play as them, and then obviously when we moved to the Switch. Uh, that was no longer a feature of any of the Switch games in the series. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it's it was an interesting period to see not only a continuation of what had been established by many, many generations of Pokemon from Game Boy to, to then, um, but also finally some level of attempt at really mixing things up with uh, particularly the, the Sun and Moon generation. I think you played at least some of the Pokemon games, Brendan, if not all of them, I would all up all games but like one of each major generation the 3ds era am i correct in that or am i misremembering <laughs> so i played y and i played uh sun so i didn't play ultra sun ultra moon and i didn't yeah. play um the remake of uh ruby sapphire but I, I very much agree with you that for me why i kind of fell off as in i got it i played it a little bit but it didn't really capture me yes they were trying some new things yes it was um using 3D models for the first time, but Pokemon's one of those franchises that I will sort of dip in and out of. So every couple of generations, I'll miss, I might miss a generation, I might miss two, and then I must, might miss a remake cycle, but then I'll jump back in and give it a real go and play around. And I think that's what I did with Sun, and I, I really liked Sun, the launch at, the launch that EB Games or Nintendo Australia did in Melbourne at Federation Square was 
uh, a lot of fun. I know you were there as well and uh, um, had fireworks and everything. And it was just a very fun game. I liked that it, it changed up the gym system, as you mentioned. It, it was changing up the formula. It just it introduced different forms of Pokemon we already knew, like the, a low a low in Pokemon variants. It it had the um or oh, what one of the what are the stone things called? The mega mega evolution. Ah, uh, the Z Z Z stones. Yeah, Z stones. Yeah, the Z stones. It were kind of that was kind of hinting towards mega evolutions and the like and. That's sort of what they embrace now. It, it was, it was sort of they were trying to change the formula without without changing the series, and I think they very much succeeded with that. And Sun's a Sun's a great Pokemon game. I, I really enjoyed my time with that game. And I guess I'm someone who doesn't play Pokemon from a competitive aspect. I play it to, I play through the story as it exists. I'm, I might try to catch all the Pokemon at the most, but I, I don't I don't get into EVIVs, which they do make they make. They started to make it more accessible in that game. I know. I think they did the same in X and Y, but it was along those tracks of making it easier to do more competitive things and easier to get into the meta of the game. And I think that's something that Game Freak continue to do well in that they do make it accessible. Like it's always going to be a time sink. It's always going to be you're going to have to have some knowledge and um, well, just experience on doing it. But they they do make it more accessible to get to competitive play, which I, I do like. No, I 100% agree. Luke, I, I, you're not the biggest uh, Pokemon guy, so I suspect you didn't play too much or any of, of the, the 3DS iterations? No, I don't like turn-based RPGs, so I don't really play the Pokemon games. I did really like Detective Pikachu, though. That's a good fun yes. thing to play. Yeah, that one of the later games in the 3DS life cycle, uh, but definitely worth a play. Uh, not the same plot, similar, but not the same as the movie. There are some differences, so go back to the source material, play yeah. the 3DS game. It's definitely worth playing. If you can find it, get the giant Pikachu amiibo as well, the Detective Pikachu one. I have that, it's so good. Yeah, no idea why they made it such a big one for him, but good on him. <laughs> so, as mentioned at the start of the episode, it's it's not 10 years after the 3DS in 2022, it's 11 years. So you might be asking why we're doing the episode now, why aren't we waiting for 15 or 20 years if we're well, assuming that this podcast still exists in that time. But why we thought it's a timely time to dive into our thoughts and memories of the 3DS is that it was announced earlier in the year that the eShop is closing. So early next year, they're going to shut up the eShop. You won't be able to buy any more games on the eShop of the 3DS. And uh, and sure, you'll still be able to buy physical games on the 3DS. You'll still be able to boot up your 3DS and play the games you have on the 3DS. But the 3DS, in terms of Nintendo hardware, was the first one that really had a diverse and deep ecosystem of digital-only games. Yes, the Wii had WiiWare and the Virtual Console and there were some games that remained on the, that the only way to play them is on WiiWare and the Wii and um, Wii Virtual Console and those services are no longer online. But the 3DS was, I'd argue, was the first one that really had a diverse set of indie games, a diverse set of like small publisher games that they only released online for various reasons. Digitally, sorry, digital distribution was increasing, so there's some games that you can't get physical physically or maybe you could get physically in Japan or America but not in Australia, not in power regions. So currently you can't 
directly put money on your 3DS eShop account, but if you have your Nintendo account linked to it, well, if you have a Nintendo account and it's linked to your Switch, you can still upload money that way and you can still access the store and buy games. So I thought it's a good... It would, it, I thought it would be a timely thing for us uh, since we are 3DS aficionados to talk about maybe the top three games for us personally on the 3DS eShop, those experiences that you can only get on Nintendo 3DS that we think people should consider experiencing, consider buying before the opportunity ceases and you won't be able to do it. Well, I'm sure... So you won't be able to play those games. You won't be able to put them on your 3DS unless you... I'm sure there'll always be ways you can do it, but I guess in terms of the only legal, I guess, straightforward way of doing it. So I'll start with you, Zach. What what would your... I guess we'll we'll do sort of one at a time, um, go through what you'd suggest and we can discuss the games as long or shortly as we want to. So I guess what if you were to recommend someone a eShop game, what, what would that be? Yeah, and I'm going to... My games aren't necessarily going to be all the best ones that I because I think potentially you might as, guys might also cover some of the really well-known ones uh, and we might do a bit of a rattle off at the end without going into detail of ones we don't bring up um, but I am going to pick some that I find very interesting and, and unique uh, particularly to the 3DS and the first one I think is really emblematic of that which is uh, often forgotten about Chibi Robo Photo Finder or I think it's called like Chibi Robo Let's go photo here in Australia, actually. So Chibi Robo is a weird Nintendo series. It's uh, started on the GameCube. I think it was well beloved, but a cult classic for sure in the in the uh, West. Uh, and then it sort of had a couple of entries on DS. One got localized. One I don't believe did. But you know the, the core premise was you're a, a little robot. You go around doing tasks for humans uh and those tasks kind of vary a little bit between the games but your your robot chibi robo has a limited power source uh so he has to you know find plugs around the house or wherever he is to recharge to make you know sure he doesn't run out of battery before um before uh, he gets back to his home or his ship or whatever it is for that particular game uh but then on the 3ds what was physically released is probably the most well-known chibi robo game was ziplash which was a not very great 2D platformer uh, that was nothing like the core series. Uh, but there is one that is somewhat like the core series, albeit much smaller, which was Photo Finder slash Let's Go Photo. And what it also did, which was very cool and unique uh, and only really doable on a 3DS, which is why I don't, well, beyond it being just incredibly niche, uh, why I don't think it'll get ported to any other system anytime soon, uh, is the game would ask you to take photos of real life objects with it with certain shapes or characteristics and then they would sort of using the 3d camera um model them into the game um pretty crudely but you know in a, in a funny manner uh, and they would sort of become some of the objects that chibi would collect and use to uh you know appease the various tasks that um the characters in the game set in so you know it's not a big game uh, I don't think it's reviewed amazingly by any stretch, but it is a cool, it's probably at this point the most affordable way to experience a, a more normal or traditional Chibi Robile style game. Uh, and 
sort of get a bit of a feel for what that character is if you've heard about it before, uh, but not wanting to shell out hundreds of dollars on the on the GameCube version that on eBay or something like that. So I definitely think, you know, if you haven't heard of it, jump on the eShop, give it a download. You know, even if it's it's not the most entertaining, I think the, the curiosity of it would be enough to justify the purchase for someone who is a is a looking to be a 3DS uh, enthusiast or a Nintendo sort of historian enthusiast. Yeah, I remember a long time ago trying the demo of it, and at the time it wasn't really the kind of weird game that I liked, so I didn't end up buying it, but yeah, it kind of seemed interesting. I'm going to look it up on the eShop again now just to check it out again. Yeah, I'm going to do the same because I've never played a Chibi Robo game. I've always wanted to try the GameCube game. But as you say, it's, well, I think to get a copy these days, it's two or $300 and there's, it's never been re-released. So it's, there's a barrier to entry there. So this might be a good way to dive in and try it. Yep. And that's why it's for people like you that I mentioned this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Luke, what would your first uh, out of three games be for the eShop? So number three is Chicken Wiggle by Atui, the makers of uh, Mutant Muds and Zero Drifter and a few other things. It was kind of a pretty late 3DS game, and it's a 2D platformer with custom-made levels, kind of like or almost exactly the same as Mario Maker on Wii U. But yeah, it's just this really fun little 2D platformer. You like play as this chicken, and you've also got this worm you use as a grapple, and it has some fun power-ups and cool music, and yeah, it's just a cute little 2D platformer where you can make your own levels if you want. It's also got complete uh, full online level sharing, unlike Mario Maker on 3DS. So yeah, uh, it, there's also a sequel eventually coming out on Switch, which is taking an extremely long time. But yeah, the 3DS version is still really good. I didn't dive into a lot of those small indie games on the th- um, 3DS eShop, I must say. Most of the games I actually did download and buy were a lot of the, I guess, those Nintendo-backed uh, small indie games and uh, some along those lines, which I'll be going into. I, did you ever try Chicken Wiggle or games like those, Zach? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely played Mutant Muds. That was probably the, f- or I think it was the first Atui game I played. Uh, I can't remember if they were Atui or Renegade Kid back then, but that's uh, that probably was still, besides the yeah, point. Yeah, it's still Renegade Kid, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then I, I didn't beat Chicken Wiggle, but I did download it because um, I, I was a big, I, I read a lot of Go Nintendo, wrote for Go Nintendo for a brief period of time as well, and uh, Kevin there, the owner of the site, is a big, uh, fan of of Jules uh, and his games at Atui, uh, so they got a lot of coverage, and um, so I think just by overexposure, I, I tended to check out most of uh, the Atui slash Jules Watchem uh, catalog, uh, and yeah, Chicken Wiggle is a lot of fun. Uh, again, I didn't end up finishing it because, again, if I recall, towards the end of the 3DS's sort of heyday, uh, maybe I'm misremembering, but I thought it was near the end uh and i think i was just probably ready to move on a little bit from the system so but i can definitely agree with luke it's worth checking out given uh also i think it's it's remake slash sequel slash whatever it is is a bit in limbo i think on the on the switch and other systems so who knows if you're actually going to get a 
uh, a true um, version of it to play elsewhere. Yeah, Brendan, what about you? What's your uh, first eShop game off the off the cab? So I'm going to go niche. I'm going to go one that, well, actually you can't even get in North America and the probably there might not be that much appeal to it, but and I didn't expect to have um, enjoyed as much as I did, but uh, that game is Nintendo Football Club, and I, I really enjoyed it. It's <laughs> it's a simulator where you um, or you're managing a football team. It's it's like football management simulator, but a lot more bare bones and a lot more, I guess, accessible in that you you're yeah, as I said, you're managing a team. You can you can customize their names. You can boost their skills during um, training and then you can watch them play during matches and you you have no control really whatsoever over how they play like there's some you can from memory you can choose what's what general tactics they're gonna um they're gonna do you can choose the formation of your players but you watch these small pixelated models playing football against each other going back and forth scoring goals and defending um against goals and it it's just a, it's a lot of fun. I just found it really enjoyable. It was it, I didn't expect to put as much time into it as I did, and I'm not even a particular. I wouldn't even say I'm a fan of football. I, I, it's not a. I like sport, but it's not one of my favourite sports. But for whatever reason, I really enjoyed playing that game. It didn't really review well for memory because most of the criticism is that it is a very bare bones simulation game. But there is some. There's a lot of joy to be had there. It's, there's a lot of just quirky fun to be there from the fact that it's this it is a bare bones pixelated simulator game that it, it has a lot of heart and it has a lot of character but I, I don't know what the appeal of it is i don't know how many I, I think it sold relatively well in japan it was i think there's a predecessor on the ds i think for memory that uh, also did well in japan i i'm i'm still to this day surprised that it was localized i guess well football is popular in europe so that probably explains why but i doubt it really had an impact in a world of football manager and fifa and other football games for people to play but if you're looking for something sports related something management related something simulator related it's a it's a fun one to play around as as long as you're not in america and you can't actually download it Yeah, I'd completely forgotten about that game, but I was just watching the trailer for it on my 3DS, and it does look fun if you're into that sort of soccer, football-type game. But it's funny you mention it's not in America, because we didn't get the Rusty's Real Deal Baseball released here. Nintendo has classically done that in that, and other publishers as well, but we won't get, I guess, sports is very regionalised, so we'll get the football stuff, America might not. America will get all the baseball games. Like, we never got those Mario baseball games on the GameCube and the Wii, but they did. And then going back to the launch of the 3DS in the US, in, in America it launched with uh, Madden 2011 or 2012 or however the numbering system works there, and we did not get that game at launch. So there's always those regional differences which are interesting to tease over. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I did play this one, not to completion i don't know if there is an ending uh to the game but uh yeah no i again it's just one of those like the 3ds was such a good era of quirky small games from nintendo uh you know there's quite a few uh, that really thrived uh and hasn't necessarily continued to the same 
level as it was then on the Wii, uh, sorry, the, the Switch. So I, I think, yeah, and this is just one of those perfect examples of just a small, simple concept, a lot of charm. The pixel graphics are very, uh, very cute and, and definitely worth checking out if you're a, a football fan, maybe if you're a, a bit bummed with Super Mario, Strikers, whatever it's called, um, Battle League, give this a shot for much less money and see if it uh, scratches a, a, enough of a football slash soccer itch. So, Zach, what would your second suggestion be if you were had the power of forcing people to buy eShop games? Yeah, and this one's a big one for me. Uh, I loved it so much. And so it, it was part of... So in Japan, there was this series, I guess you could call it, if two games is a series called Guild, uh, Guild 01 and Guild 02. But they were basically compilations of smaller games made by just a variety of Japanese developers, which is a very cool concept. Uh, in the West, we didn't get the physical packages. Uh, instead, we just got, if not all, a good number I would say most of the games released as eShop downloads are all separately. Uh, and I don't know, maybe you guys will speak about some of the other ones, but the one I'm bringing up is uh, Attack of the Friday Monsters, A Tokyo Tale. Attack of the Friday Monsters is kind of like a uh, extension of a, of, a, of a series by the developer Mil- uh, Millennium Kitchen, their series called Bokuno uh, Natsu Yasumi, if I'm saying that correctly. Apologies, my Japanese isn't the best, um, but that translates to my summer vacation. And that started on the PlayStation and has been Japanese exclusive up until this particular 3DS title. But effectively, it's just about being a kid, uh, usually a boy, uh, in a small country town in Japan and doing stereotypical country Japan summer things like catching bugs and fishing uh, and playing little street games with your friends Uh, and Attack of the Friday Monsters sort of condenses that into a smaller experience um, where it overlays it with this sort of story uh, that you know there's these mysterious uh, giant monsters appearing in town and you never really see the monsters but you see sort of remnants of them like giant footprints and the like uh, while you're wandering around town, sort of doing tasks and errands, uh, playing a card game with friends with uh, with monsters in it. Uh, and it's just a simple, fun little experience. Uh, and again, very, you know, there's not a lot of games that capture that very chill, you know, summer vacation, wandering around as a kid vibe. Um, they've recently released a... There are, the only other entry in the series that has been localized, as far as I know, is um, uh, a sort of spin-off with uh, Shin-chan. Uh, Shin-chan, me and the Professor on summer vacation on the Switch and PS4 and the like this year. So you could always play that. But um, I think Attack on the Friday Monsters is probably, I don't know if it's, I want to say better, but it's, it's probably more digestible because A, it's a smaller game, and B, it's not sort of tied to a, a separate license that you might want some level of context for. Uh, before jumping in, you know, jump into the Attack on the Friday Monster and completely get the whole picture from start to finish um, without any unnecessary homework or Wikipedia articles <laughs> to understand the characters or anything like that. So definitely check it out. It's it's a great chill experience, maybe a great one to play over your summer vacation uh, if you're in Australia coming up over Christmas. 
Yeah, I haven't actually played that one, but I remember hearing on podcasts that it was sounded pretty good. But while we're talking about the guild games, um, I wasn't planning on talking uh, talking about this, but Liberation Maiden, that was another one of the guild games by like Suda51 and Grasshopper Manufacture. So if you like Suda's crazy action games, that's definitely worth playing. Yeah, I can echo that on Liberation Maiden. It's not one of my top three, but that is definitely one that is a lot of fun to play. And I think there was also a weird like visual novel follow-up on PS4 as well from like scraping the corners of my mind, but uh, I don't know what that's like, but that's just a fun fact. And on Attack of the Friday Monsters, I've, I know you've mentioned it before, I think in passing conversation or in Discord chats or the like, Zach, and I've always been interested in playing it. And it is one that when I was going through the eShop to get games before it shuts, I, I have bought and downloaded it. So it's on my playlist and I'm looking forward to giving it a go because it, it sounds like it has a lot of heart. It sounds like it has a lot of character to it. And I think it'll be a, it'll be a fun, I guess, short experience to have. So yeah, I, I think I can, well, I can't echo the suggestion because I haven't played it, but I think, yeah, it's definitely one to consider from what I've heard of it anyway. It's a very highly regarded game. So Luke, what would your number two be? Okay, keeping on the eShop exclusives, my number two is Ace Attorney Dual Destinies. It's like not an indie or anything because it's Capcom, but it's such a good game. Uh, just like the story and the production values and the music, and it's just so good. Um, I don't think I would really like it if I played it now because I'm not so much into visual novels as I once was, but back when that came out, I just loved it so much. I think it's the best one in the series. And so, yeah, if you. If you've played like the earlier Ace Attorneys and you haven't played the two 3DS exclusives, Dual Destinies is extremely good. Yeah, I've, I've always wanted to play it. I've been slowly making my way through the Ace Attorney series because I want to play them sort of in sequential order. I say sort of because I started with Justice for All and I, I'm going back to the first game and there's a lot of ways to play those, particularly the first three, four games. They've been released to death on other consoles. You can get them on PC. You can get them on 3DS. You could get them on iOS at a time. I don't know if they're still there. I, I assume they are. But, uh, yeah, they, they are very well-crafted and enjoyable visual novels. So you're a fan of Ace Attorney, right, Zach? Yeah, I love Ace Attorney. Um, I'm glad you brought this up, Luke, because uh, it almost I almost would have mentioned it. Uh, and you, you know what you say about Dual Destinies, I think, should also apply to its sequel, Spirit of Justice, as well. Um, given they are narrative games, uh, you know, if you like Ace Attorney, you should probably play both, uh, and their DLC as well. That's that you can you can purchase. Uh, you know what's really at this point again at recording, these are the only two Ace Attorney games that are stuck on the 3DS at this this stage. They other some of the the other games that were actually Japanese exclusive, the Great Ace Attorney got ported uh, last year, I think, to Switch and PS4 and maybe PC. Uh, but yeah, these these two currently 3DS exclusives. So and and again in Australia and most I think all the West uh, eShop exclusives. So unless Capcom, I mean, I could definitely see them doing remasters and, and bundling it with say Apollo Justice because they, they sort of go together as the, the second trilogy. 
but unless they do that um, sort of soon, uh, you will potentially lose your way to access um, two key, you know, parts of that that long sort of series history and uh, and storyline. So definitely check them out uh, if you're an Ace Attorney fan uh, and you haven't played them before. Yeah, Brendan, what's uh, number two for for yourself? For me, it's also a guild game. It's Crimson Shroud, which was uh, directed by Matsuno, who has a long history for JRPG aficionados in things like Tactics Ogre, which recently got a remaster on modern consoles and Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy XII. He had a hand in as well. And what Crimson Shroud is, it's a very... It's very short and brief and quite interesting in that tabletop RPG that's been gamified, been like more video gamified. So you're rolling digital dice to um for your for your I guess tabletop models to attack and go through a dungeon. It's 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 like a D and D experience. It's it's a lot of fun. It's it's a very interesting plot, interesting story for being such a short, small contained game. You can play through it in a couple of hours. There's a diff- there's a couple of different routes, so there's some replayability there as well. And I just always found the graphical design decisions the game made quite interesting, and they work quite well because if you look up screenshots of the game, they they are they look like painted models that you might if you were a war gaming enthusiast or a D and D slash Warhammer player. But those are the sort of models you would make and paint and um well play around with and it just having the digital dice as well that you're rolling and adds that it adds that degree of tension when you're hoping to get particular roles for particular things to happen like well to to flee or to avoid being poisoned or being cured from poison or all those just classic rpg tropes and in many ways it it, it was a precursor to some like things like voice for voices of cards and that brandon sanderson game that was recently announced uh to be coming out, I think next year or the year after. It, at the time, there was nothing really like it that I guess fused video games and tabletop together, and that's one that did it. And I thought it did it really well. And I guess personally, being a fan of both mediums, I think it's definitely one to pick up and play around with if you if you enjoy that sort of game. I know it's not for everyone, but it's a very enjoyable experience. Yeah, I'm just watching the trailer for it now on the eShop, and there's like the director there you're talking about, and he says it's like an adventure game that resembles a tabletop RPG, so that does sound pretty interesting. Um, I don't really know much about it, but I think I remember people on podcast saying that was good as well. Yeah, I'm I'm similar, but I've I've certainly seen a lot about it, particularly uh, as the 3DS eShop's coming to a close. Um, and it looks very cool, very in-depth. Um, almost surprised it didn't become a full release, to be honest with you. But uh, oh, it, it is very short. It's only it's a couple of hours long. So I think it, it is well-equipped to be in an eShop experience. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, I mean, I, I think it is emblematic of the you know Guild series to have these just incredibly creative and unique experiences that are quite condensed and... I mean, as a blanket rule, I think, you know, anything that is part of that Guild branding, not that you're going to see that on the eShop itself, but, you know, there's going to be a Wikipedia page that has all of the games that are part of the Guild franchise. They're probably pretty safe bets. Like, I'm sure, you know, there's hits and misses, but they're all going to be interesting. Um, and that's why 
you know, a couple of them are featured here, I think. Uh, and, or, you know, three if we count Liberation Maiden, which um, all three of us played. Uh, again, probably because of that Suda 51 name attachment. I'm going to move on to my last one. This is a hard choice <laughs> to make because uh, I know what it is. I almost feel bad for saying it. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway because this is my podcast and I can say what I want. It's a game that will actually, I think will basically be almost unplayable when the 3DS eShop ability to add funds goes away. Uh, I think maybe it will be a little bit playable, but not, not drastically so. I spent a lot of time in it. It also heralded a great feature for the 3DS as a system with the fantastic customizability of your home screen. And that is uh, Badge Arcade. <laughs> <laughs> god it's hard to like plug it because it is a crane game it is got microtransactions are you being paid uh, by nintendo <laughs> maybe uh just to get the last hit of cash but like i love crane games i know again they're like child gambling um effectively but they are fun for me uh, i love playing them um both the western kind and the japanese kind Badge Arcade is very much more aligned with the Japanese kind of crane game. Uh, but yeah, you know, you get a free amount of, of coins every day, I believe, if I recall, that you can spend to grab badges. Uh, the badges would be typically just, you know, icons of Nintendo characters um, or things, might be like little systems or whatever. Uh, and then you could put them on your 3DS home screen and customize it uh, to look different, you know, combine it with your theme that you might have purchased off the eShop as well uh, and really make your 3DS your own sort of device, you know, stands out, you know, compared to, say, the Switch where everyone's either dark theme or light theme and the only customization is what game you've got as your, your more recently played list. Um, your 3DS, you could really trick out uh, virtually to look you know, represent who you were, and, and the badges were a great way to do that. Uh, and it was just, you know, we, we talked about Rusty's Real Deal Baseball, which sadly didn't come to the uh, to to us, only to America and Japan. Um, but it's Badge Arcade was a continuation of these interesting ways Nintendo tried to monetize games um, in the 3DS era as they were experimenting with uh, free to play. In many respects, Badge Arcade is, is, a, is probably more typical than Real Deal Baseball, which had a, a very fascinating bartering system for how much you paid for the minigames. But it was still very unique for Nintendo. And the fact that it was for a thing that, again, you know, somewhat ahead of its time in, in the way of NFTs, but it's not a thing that you used in the game itself. It was a thing you took out of the game and applied to the system. Uh, quickly, I don't endorse the NFTs. I do not like F NFTs. Um, it was a bit of a joke there, but in case anyone did not realize that, I'm just clarifying. But yeah, anyway, back to the Badge Arcade. Just, you know, well-designed crane game. Super simple, super fun. Uh, again, I can't imagine it's going to be very playable after, you know, the system shuts down. Similarly, even pirating it would probably, you know, require a level of extra fan sort of intervention to replicate the experience as it as it stands uh and it's certainly not the same as it was during its heyday when you're getting new badges you know every every few days or weeks i can't remember the cycle exactly but still there's you can jump in now and get a few badges so make sure you do that before the eShop shuts down 
Yeah, I never played it um, when it was current because I didn't want to clutter up my home screen, but I, I have downloaded it on one of my 3DSs and it does seem a bit of fun. Yeah, gotta say, Zach, I think I'm gonna pass on this one. <laughs> yeah, as I said, uh, my three were not meant to be the most, uh, the best games, but definitely the, some more unique ones uh, that I don't see taking any shape or form outside of the 3DS for a long time. Yeah, and I think that ultimately that's what's great about some of the experiences offered by the 3DS, that they were just so unique and they just haven't appeared on other consoles for either reason of it being too, well, not really fitting the console for just playability reasons or just, I guess, that moment has passed in, like, I guess, from an experimental point in gaming. I'd probably generally one of the two, but I think it's interesting to consider. Yeah, and also, it's just a shout, it's also like a subtle plug, 3DS themes, you know, if you can, last chance to customise your 3DS, so look at some themes, hopefully some are on sale in the eShop, and consider whether you want to drop 99 cents on a Splatoon theme to make your 3DS play Splatoon music whenever you open it up. <laughs> so moving on to you, Luke, what's your number one most recommended eShop game? Okay, well, I'm kind of cheating here because it's technically three games, but... Oh, we'll, we'll allow it. Go it. Go for it. The, it's the Box Boy series. It's just yep. the greatest little puzzle platformer I've ever played. Like, all three put together, I think I put over 30 hours into it. It's just such a great little game. And um, I remember the Nintendo Direct, here we go, in kind of mid-2015, it was Shadow Dropped, like the first Box Boy, after that Direct, uh, when it was announced. And I bought it immediately and completely fell in love with it. It's just like this really lovely little 2D puzzle platformer where you plays this square and he makes more squares where you can like solve these puzzles to get through the platforming challenges. And then... Um, it's a surprisingly long game as well with tons of different levels so that's why it took me so long to play them and yeah so there's box boy box box boy and bye bye box boy so all three of those games they're like all very 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 similar so that's why i kind of combined them into one but yeah they're really really good and also there's the box boy amiibo which is extremely rare but i happen to have one and it does support other amiibo as well for like costumes and things. But yeah, it's such a great little game. Yeah, I've only played the first one, but I absolutely love Box Boy. I think it how laboratories have always made very fun games. Though, of course, the Kirby developer, so they they understand making accessible games that are that really anyone can enjoy. Box Boy fits in that category. It's like some of those puzzles are quite frustrating or quite challenging but overall it's a it's that sort of game that you what box boy does really well i'd argue is that it, it eases you into the challenge it eases you into the different thing the different moves you can make and the different the, the different ways in which box boy can move and traverse the environment and solve puzzles and then it build it builds the challenges in on that in on those um facets in on those aspects of how the game works it's it's one i definitely yeah. do recommend as well and it's one that i only recently picked up i picked all three of them up as the actually no i think i owned i owned the first one for a while never played it picked up the other two earlier in the year and 
played through the first game and yeah it's it's absolutely a fantastic experience yeah i, I echo both the sentiments uh, i played all three of them it's one of those yeah i started the first one when it came out the you know again shadow dropped during that direct uh dropped it and then came back and sort of just did the trilogy one day uh i think it was probably before the switch launched because i knew box boy box girl was coming i think that had been announced and i was like i want to catch up on the series uh, and finish it because they're not you know they're very fun not super long which is good uh for an eShop game but uh it's it's also you know it's not like one box boy replaces the other they're they're all so unique uh in their puzzles that it is kind of worth dropping the money and getting all three uh, and then again it's not like the switch version supplants any of the 3ds versions either um it just they all play with the concept a bit further or a bit differently um but you know for me the optimal way to play uh all four if you're gonna you know also get the the switch game is is doing them chronologically from box boy up to box boy box girl on on switch just to see the evolution of the the puzzles that they they implemented and um yeah, QB for a guy that doesn't say very much, uh, has so much character, is very cute. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sad we never got like the physical collection that they got in Japan with all three games on it. Yeah, it would have been the ideal way to preserve it. Uh, and I, I was going to just also add, I, I kind of associate, to me, Box Boy is, is sort of, there's three eShop-like, nintendo series and i I think i can comfortably say them because i I think i know what brendan's last game is and i don't think it's these two um but i always put box boy pushmo slash pool blocks uh and then dylan's rolling western is kind of the three big um e-shop nintendo brands that they really pushed during that era and you know at this stage box boy is the only one that lived on to the switch um which maybe is a product of it also being a hell property but uh they were all such big features, those series on, on the eShop, and really, I think, defined what the eShop was about. Well, Paul Blocks lived on to the Wii U and then subsequently died. True. So. Yes, <laughs> so, so you, you equally have just as much time to get that on Wii U as you do on 3DS. <laughs> and at least Dylan's got a one single physical game, I suppose, with Dead Heat Breakers. So it, um, and that, but I think only in... Some countries, like us, we got it, but I don't know if every country got it. Anyway, you know, we're the important country, and we did, so that's that's what I remember. <laughs> yeah, I've got that. But yeah, Brendan, do you want to finish it up with, I think I know what game it is. I'll be curious if I'm wrong, and if I am wrong, I think I'll have to honourably mention the game I'm thinking of, but we'll, we'll see. Oh, no, I think you're 100% uh, right. I think you know what I'm going to say. Uh, I was tempted to say um, Pushmo, actually, because I think Pushmo is a brilliant game, but... We've mentioned it now, and uh, that's definitely one that should be considered to be picked up if you enjoy puzzle games. But my number one eShop game is also my number one 3DS game. I think this is the best game on the 3DS. It's my number one if I was to do a top three or top five. And that, of course, is the fantastic Pocket Card Jockey. It is one of the best games that has ever been made, ever. This is a bit of a hyperbole, but... I just think Pocket Card Jockey is a fantastic Game Freak developed game. Yes, the the Pokemon guys jumped on a horse racing solitaire game, which is, I guess, entwined into fantastic Japanese pastimes. Well, whether you say horse racing is a 
fantastic pastime. I think that might be a controversial statement. So take take what I'm saying at the moment with a grain of salt because, yes, this is a bit exaggerated, but I just think it's a really enjoyable <laughs> game. I put countless hours into Pocket Card Jockey because what it, what it is, it's, you're, it's just a solitaire game, really, um, from the outset. You're playing solitaire, but... There's just there's interactivity to how you're playing solitaire. It's it's linked to the performance of these race horses that you're racing because the the story of uh, pocket card jockey is quite f- amusing. In that it's are you the horse owner? You're dead, Zach. Is it, am, am I remembering that right? Yeah, correct. You're like a, a ghost. Yeah. Yes, you're a ghost. So you're a ghost playing solitaire, and you playing solitaire is um improving the performance of these race horses to win tour to win um to win race horse races and to um improve the improve the success of this particular stable that I think you're either the trainer at the stable or the owner and you're dead. So um, and you're trying to beyond the grave intercede and um revive the fortunes of this um yeah of, of this racehorse um well side hustle business, whatever you want to call it. It's I just found it a really interesting, really innovative game, and it's just—it's a very simple context because ultimately, if you don't enjoy solitaire, if you don't enjoy card games, you're not gonna—you're not gonna find it enjoyable. You're not gonna find it a worthwhile experience. But for me, it just captures the Nintendo spirit, even though it's not Nintendo developed. It's Game Freak, which is separate, but well, same but different. But it just captures the spirit, captures the spirit of the 3DS, and like I. And it also, I guess, to get, to have a quick honourable mention, it's it's reminds me similar of Harmo Knights, which is another game freak developed game. Which I think is that accessible? Is that available outside of the 3ds? Is it on iPhone? I think it might have been. No. Is it not? No. No, I I think Pocket Card Jockey was released in mobiles in Japan, but not Harmo Knights. Okay, I don't think because um, Harmo Knight has a uh, Pokemon music in it as well, so I suspect. It got locked to Nintendo systems for that reason. Yeah, I think you're right. So I guess Harbo Knight would be another honourable mention, which I think is a very well crafted rhythm game. But why why I've always liked Pocket Card Jockey, why I've always thought it's a, a really good experience is because it, it does have a very unique spin to it. It's I've never played anything like it and I don't think I probably will again and it doesn't look like there's any movement of them putting it on any other console so i think it's probably going to live and die on the 3ds so was that what you expected me to say zach or was there another game yeah no that was it that was 100 percent what i thought you were going to say uh which is why i didn't bother adding it to my list (laughs) but i echo your sentiments i think you know yes if you don't like solitaire and you know you don't like solitaire i can't see the jockey sort of you know world uh overlay changing that um stance but if you know you're like okay or you know at least neutral if not positive on playing solitaire or you've never played solitaire because that's uh there's probably quite a lot of people who have not had had uh, solitaire on their pc uh as a, as a thing they did when they were kids uh to kill time maybe while their parents were <laughs> you're waiting for them at their office or something then uh yeah it's 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 a great little game very creative yes the pokemon team can be creative surprise um <laughs> make other <laughs> games and it's very cute uh great eShop game not you know not a lot of money uh for a, you know for quite a simple short experience which is what i love about an eShop game 
And also, as you said, I don't see it ever coming back. I don't see it being ported to Switch. I don't see it being a secret unlockable in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet if you um, catch a hundred horse Pokemon or something. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's just going to probably, you know, in the West at least, die and remain in the 3DS like many of the games we've mentioned here today. I'm really surprised you would consider it to be the best 3DS game. It's great that you like it. I I remember people saying really good things about it at the time, but I tried the demo and wasn't really into it. Um, I I did buy it as one of the big lot of games I bought with the, new, with the news of the shop closing down, so it is on my system so I can play it, but yeah, I, um, I'm surprised you liked it so much. That's good. I have a very uh, quirky, very odd-tasting games, as um, Zach knows. So Zach can generally pick what games I like and uh, what I enjoy playing. But yes, it's. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm the norm. So as I said, take my suggestions with a grain of salt. But yes, yeah, get. But you're also not alone. Like there are other people who would share. It's like you, if you love it, you really love it. Otherwise, you probably just like it's just solitaire. Um, but if, yeah. I can it's you can sort of see why if that humor and that like style of game uh the thematics of it is your thing it's it's going to be a favorite like it is for you and many others so I guess we probably should start winding up since we've gone this is probably going to be one of our longer episodes of blowing cartridges so and I know we probably there's probably some honorable mention games we might want to mention just both in the eShop and um or physical releases as well. And I think a good way to do that might be if we, but if all three of us, I, I guess, if we reflect on the legacy and on just reflect on the 3DS more generally on what we think the 3DS represented and how we think the 3DS led into the Switch and into, well, Nintendo's strategy today, 11 years on. So um, I guess starting with you, Zach, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the, again, the way I see it is the 3DS, until proven otherwise, is is the last, as I said at the start of the show, portable-only system for Nintendo. And a lot of the games put out in that era were designed that way, and you could feel it, and in some ways it was good. Some would say it wasn't the ideal way of experiencing some games uh, or franchises, but to me I think it was a, it was really good because it made these really accessible, really, like, chunkable kind of games that you sort of had clear sections you could do, close, go about your day, come back to, compared to the design philosophy of sometimes a big console game. So, you know, if I think about some of the defining experiences, obviously your your Marios and your Zeldas are always going to be must-gets on a Nintendo system, and 3D Land and The Link Between Worlds certainly stand up as... uh, highlights for many on this system and they embody that again more i think chunkable style of gameplay than uh than say something like breath of the wild or super mario odyssey after them on the switch uh so again they're very unique and i don't think you're going to see things exactly in that style i won't say ever but probably for a good while Uh, and that probably flows through to a lot of games you know again I loved Luigi's Mansion 2, um, even if I think 3 may be better. 2 was so good at the time, particularly after not having a Luigi's Mansion for so long. And then, yeah, the eShop, you know, all those games are much smaller and more 
bite size as, as whole experiences and there's just you know there's not as many as say something like you know it's games on the switch for sure but there's quite a lot and um i think you know look out for publishers like nicholas look out for publishers like uh way forward look out for we said the guild games that's that you know and uh gosh what was the other one uh tui that you mentioned before or renegade kid as they were called i think at the start of the 3ds like cycle like they're some of the big developer names i remember a lot during that era um so if you're you know trying to figure out where are some some good places to look um look for games with those companies behind them because you've probably got a pretty safe and good uh bet uh if you're picking up something from from one of them so that's sort of my thoughts and uh advice if you are delving into that eShop slash um even physical 3ds collection space and Luke, what are your thoughts on the 3DS? Um, just wrapping up. Overall, I think it's the best system Nintendo has ever made. Just like the platform overall, with like its design and games and everything. And because it was so good, it had a very long lifespan. And I just wanted to mention two games that came out very late in the system, like after the Switch. So not many people bought them. And that's Ever Oasis, which is made by Grezzo. Mm-hmm. By you know, they did the Zelda games on 3DS, and um, Metopia as well. So kind of similar to Tomodachi Life, except it's an RPG. So they're just two really fun late 3DS games that are definitely worth playing. Yeah, and I think what whilst Metopia, of course, is now on Switch as well. I think there were definitely some great games in the lo- in the final year or two of the 3ds and i remember there were quite a lot of critics of that because people thought oh why aren't these games on the switch they should be on switch in the launch year and oh no one wants 3ds games anymore but i think it was a testament to the to the system and the the longevity of the system and well it's got to be mentioned in my i guess closing remarks in that i think ultimately I think the 3DS was one of Nintendo's most successful consoles. It's what kept them going through the disaster of the Wii U. And even though, the, as we mentioned, and we spent quite a bit of time going through the launch announcement and the launch um, first year, it was a bit of a disaster. There were ideas about how the focus was going to be on 3D technology really went out the window, as seen by the revision of the 2DS and the new T 2DS that didn't even use 3D. It, it, it will... The conceit of the 3DS wasn't about how it was a new, I guess, the new frontier of technology that it was going to be innovative. It was going to, I guess, herald in this new 3D technology world of glasses-free 3D. But instead, what we got was we got an ecosystem of some really rich games. We've got an ecosystem of games that, I guess, heralded in games that we are playing today like like i mentioned with fire emblem we wouldn't be playing fire emblem if it wasn't for the 3ds and the revival of the system uh bravely default is a game that really started square enix on that road to making new old games in in what i mean new games in the style of their previous games so you've got bravely default with the stunning art style and the old um job system turn-based combat then on the Switch, you got, well, and then of course it was Bravely Second on the 3DS, which did much of the same. But on the Switch, you then got games like, well, Bravely Default 2, you got Octopath Traveler, which is a completely different, well, it's their 2D HD art style, which they've taken and run with. But 
it's very much in the vein of Bravely Default and wouldn't exist without that game. And then um, going off what you said, Luke, about the games that released in the dying days of the 3DS, another one that did was uh, you had the Mercury Steam developed uh, Met- uh, Metroid uh, Samus Returns, which without that game, you wouldn't have got Metroid Dread. And uh, Metroid Dread for many people was a highlight of 2021 on the Switch and not just on the Switch, just in gaming more broadly. That was a very well-regarded game, even on another level to Samus Returns, which had a lot of critics and was sort of a middling-received game. I really enjoyed it at the time, but the legacy of it has outlived, um, I guess, the immediate reaction that game received. So for me, I see the 3DS as, I guess, a very important part of Nintendo's modern history that, it started a lot of these ideas. It started a lot of these franchises. Um, and yes, some of these things haven't carried on. So you need to go to the 3DS to see, I guess, Nint- Nintendo's online offerings. And what I mean, Nintendo's eShop offerings of these smaller games that might have not been directly published by Nintendo, but by their partners that they published. Things like Hannah Samurai, things like Dylan's Rolling Western, things like Box Boy, things like Pushmo. We saw them at the start of the Switch with um, Snipper Clips, but it's really disappeared. There hasn't really been as many examples of those experiences. Nintendo sort of, their first-party offerings are your more full retail release these days. So to a degree, that's changed. But for whatever reason, they've moved away from that uh, format. So maybe those, as you said, those shorter experiences were very much catered to a handheld experience so we've lost that as it is the last um, handheld Nintendo console but overall I think well particularly for people like us that grew it well that lived through the 3DS that were active gamers during the period it's I think there's a lot of legacies there that you can unpack yes and I and and, you know like all good things uh the 3DS came to an end uh and so does this this podcast episode. Uh, so first off, I need to thank Luke uh, for joining us again on his third, you know, appropriate three DS third episode for him as a guest on Blowing Cartridges. Thank you again for for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. As Luke mentioned during the show, he uh, he did you know probably around the tenth anniversary, if I recall correctly, a fantastic three uh, DS retrospective. So I might throw to you, Luke, again to plug that and where people can find that and your other videos and content yeah so over on my youtube channel hopefully you'll be able to find a link to that in the description but specifically my 3ds 10th anniversary video which i made for the 10th anniversary obviously Um, i put a huge amount of effort into that including there is a 3d version of that which you can watch on new 3ds systems in the web browser on youtube so that's worth watching and also on my YouTube channel just today as we're recording actually this month is the 10th anniversary of the Wii U so in celebrating that today I spent almost eight hours streaming various Wii U games which is a lot of fun Uh, so yeah if you can go and have a look at that uh, like my channel in general and the 3DS video that'd be great yeah and those retrospectives you do are always uh, very in-depth and very um, fascinating. And I think, you know, as someone who lived through both those systems, uh, they're great to watch. I can only imagine if you didn't live through those systems or you didn't use those systems during their heyday, that'd be a really 
extra interesting piece to watch, to be honest with you, rather than nostalgic like it is for me. Uh, but yes, as we mentioned, we'll plug those into the show notes for anyone to find. Uh, and similarly, if you want to find us, you can find us at BlowcardPod still on Twitter, as Twitter is still around for now. Again, every time we record, that becomes less certain. <laughs> uh, and, and at this stage, we have not pivoted to any new platforms. We will tell you if we do. But we're also still on Facebook, also at BlowcardPod. And we may be using that more regularly, <laughs> given uh, Twitter's uncertainty, uh, as well as email blowingcartridge at gmail.com. You can email us there if you want to reach to us, uh, to us directly. Uh, and again, for me personally, at Egorino on Twitter, and of course, Brendan at Tamazoid, also still on Twitter for the time being. Yes, um, and I'd just like to say thank you again, Luke, for jumping on uh, and recording with us. You're always a great font of knowledge about all things Nintendo, all things Xbox as well, and uh, it's always just great to have your perspective on. And uh, yeah, well, I'm doubtlessly we'll get you on again. I think you've been on every year that our podcast has existed. So uh, thank you again for your support and uh, keep up your own content because I very much enjoy it. Your um, your Engage stuff was brilliant and your 3DS retrospective was very good and the Xenoblade stuff you've done as well. So yeah, keep keep up the work. Yeah, thanks for thanks for the feedback. Yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, maybe we'll do an episode on the play date next year when mine inevitably arrives. I don't know if Brendan ordered one, but uh, if he didn't, he can ask us questions because uh, I've also been enjoying your thoughts on that after you've received yours uh, probably, what, a month ago at this point? Or oh, maybe even longer. Maybe I've lost uh, track. Yeah, it's probably about two months ago. It's such a fun little system. Yeah, no, it's uh, lots of stuff to come. So thank you again for everyone for listening. You know, boot up your 3DSs now while you can. Get some games. Enjoy it. And until then, uh, happy gaming. Happy gaming. Play Pocket Card Jockey. Goodbye. <laughs> Solitaire. You don't even need friends. Oh, oh, oh.